Good evening, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio, Wednesday night. Oh, it's time for our midweek philosophy brain injection of infinite empiritude. So um, this Saturday, we're not doing a show. We're going to do the show Friday instead. Friday instead. So be sure to reverse all of the dates on your calendars, your phones, your tablets, and so on. Christmas is coming, everyone. You, you know Christmas is coming. Do you know what makes a great Christmas gift? Philosophy to the world. Philosophy to the world. And you can do that by going to freedomainradio.com slash donate, subscribing, donating. Please, uh, please help us out. It's really, really important for what we do. Help us survive. freedomainradio.com slash donate. And Mike, who do we have on first? All right, up first today is Scott. Scott wrote in and said, Since last year when I accepted UPB in favor of Christianity, I've been in many talks with some of my closest Christian friends. I am working on improving myself, but I'm finding connecting to other people to be hard, not because I can't be social, but because I can't be honest and social. I do not okay. want to be what you refer to as me plus, but I do not want to be seen as the problem guy either. If people look for the value you can offer them in a relationship, whether it simply be friendships or more romantic in nature, then how can I avoid being me plus if just being me is inconvenient or I am not able to bring any value? Right, right. Well, the me, just for those who don't know, and I talked about this in the Robin Williams presentation, which I think is climbing close to 600,000 on YouTube. But the me plus is you have to be you plus talent, you plus making people laugh, you plus being sexy, you plus money, you plus looks, you plus the capacity to grant other people things uh, that are in your power, you plus uh, having the power to be a casting agent or, or whatever. And politics is the ultimate me plus. Uh, politics is populated by people so hollow that they feel that without the forced redistribution of other people's wealth, nobody would give them the time of day. And uh, it is a massive cover for the insecurity that is narcissism. Of course, kind listener, I am not putting you, Scott, into this category. <laughs> I just uh, wanted to sort of point out how extreme it can be. Me plus tattoos, me plus a beard. Anyway, um, so there's a lot in what you said, as I'm sure – you're aware. Oh, so where sure. would you like to start? Um, yeah, so, so there is quite a bit on, on what I said. Uh, as far as um, I could give more background, if, uh, if you think that would be helpful. But um, No, no, no. See, if I say there's already a lot in what you said, adding more to it will not solve the problem. <laughs> so, you know, you're weighing me down with a lot of stuff. Here, let me put some more stuff on you. Uh, so, no, I mean, in, in what you said, there's enough for a couple of hours conversation at least. Right. So, um, the phrase close Christian friends. Yes. Okay, help me, help me understand that. Close how? Well, it's... I don't really have any friends anymore so they they were close i should say See that yeah that's 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 important it's tragic but, well, uh, but it's important I, I put, because if you like if you live in reality you don't have a huge amount in common with people who live in the mind of the divine right yeah okay no, I, absolutely i i put in my original response the second sentence you know that mike reads out that this has resulted in me having no friends, but I, mm. I guess that got cut. 
but that's, that's oh, maybe I maybe I miss, missed it. So I just wanted to double check. And uh, please understand, look, I'm not saying no one can be friends with people who you don't share fundamental ideologies or, or fundamental belief systems. <clears throat> I'm not saying that. And but but in terms of closeness, since I've always argued that we really can only connect with each other or with anyone through reality. Uh, saying that you're really close to someone who has opposing metaphysics, religion versus atheism, at least philosophical atheism rather than socialist atheism, which is just another mafia gang, um, philosophical atheism, rational atheism, UPB-based atheism, free domain atheism, dare I say, uh, is, um, is, is so fundamentally different from religiosity that the only connection that philosophers can have with religious people is to the degree with which either the philosophers or the religious people are willing to abandon their belief system. So anyway, I just wanted to sort of mention that. Um, yeah, no, so I totally agree. Which relationships are you either keep working at keeping or working at establishing at the moment? Well, it's I my my trouble is I would go out like I I can be social like I I go I do cross country running and I have a group I meet with there. And I, I can talk to people in in that sense, but a, a lot of I guess I guess if I don't really feel like where you see now I'm, now I'm having trouble trouble phrasing it, but ultimately since my I, I suppose it my moral foundation I just kind of it kind of moved over and uh, <laughs> it's well we'll say and I've totally disregarded. Uh, the last one, I I feel like I I wouldn't know where to stand. Like I not not sure what you're talking about here. You you gotta give give me some more specifics. I mean these these windy a- abstracts don't really help me connect with you either. Yeah. Right. No, so I, so yeah. what is it? Wh- where is it that you're having trouble in your relationships? What what specifically is is happening? Well, I'm I'm saying that the I I really don't uh, have any relationship. So there is no specific thing with, with any person. Uh, I, it's just that when previously, uh, when, when you live your life and you think what morality is, is kind of denying yourself certain things and all right, you don't do this, you don't do that. And that's kind of what you live for. And then you, uh, you, you know, I've read UPB and I understand that better. And you think, okay, now, now this makes sense. Uh, uh, more sense as uh, as a theory of or morality, so I'll go with this. But in in with UPB, there isn't. Uh, it's not you have to do this and you have to do this. It's it's things you don't do and where you want to go. Besides, you know, not going against the non-aggression principle is uh, is is up to you. And and I, I'm just saying since I define my my life by Christian morality in the first sense. Now it's kind of left me to a point where, you know, before I was just, you know, I, it's school, you know, you get yelled at, some things would happen. And now it's kind of like, well, if I was living all of this for in the, in the first way, uh, and that's how I live my life. Now, now I don't have that. Now, um, I, it, it's, it's, it's tough to to live life in in the moment as as you know living for yourself today you know because it's right. it's completely changed yeah i mean christianity and and religion uh 
to use a video game analogy, is like a railer. It's like it's not open world. Right. Right. Thou shalt is almost infinitely more restrictive than thou shalt not. Right. Like if I say thou shalt go to a particular house in Cincinnati, well, there's only one place you can go, right, if you believe me. Whereas if I say thou shalt not go to a particular house in Cincinnati, the world is your oyster, right, except for <laughs> that particular house in Cincinnati. And so from, from that standpoint, Christianity and, and most religions give you a positive recipe for virtue. It's not don't kill, don't steal, but it's also do all of these other things, right? Pay your tithe That's right. and um, attempt to save the souls of other people and go to church and love your enemy as yourself and like whatever particular flavor people are interested in, it is, uh, it's a train track, right? Yeah. Whereas UPB is, is not, I mean, it's teleporting. It's, it's, it's you know, it's three-dimensional. It's go wherever you want. Just don't teleport into other people's bodies with knives, right? I mean, it <laughs> is, it, it's an open-world scenario. And that's quite anxiety-provoking for a lot of people because you're now, you're now no longer being told what to do to be good. All you're doing is being told what not to do if you wish to avoid evil, right? No, that's that's right. Like before, like there's a lot about life. I remember as a kid, you know, going through well, not just it's mainly with school, but some situations that I I thought were tough, and I always thought, you know what, the the very the most important thing, if I could have moral excellence, you know, and and strive strive for that as the most important thing, then everything else is 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 secondary. So even though I didn't always like life where I was at, um, I, I had that, but now, now it seems now, while what I was following before wasn't true morality, right? So now you take that away and, and now it, now it feels like it's like what, that's what I was living before. Now I just don't like life. So it's not that. Sorry, now you just don't like life. Yeah. From, from, well, because before, it's what I was living for. It's like, oh no, that that's now gone away, right? So everything, like I, I can perform stuff well, like, but everything seems like tasks in a way, like you know. No, but, you, you <laughs> sorry, but this is, but this is what I would say. Would, would you count yourself as an ex-Christian? Yes, absolutely. See, in switching from Christianity to philosophy, yeah, you are far closer to Christ than if you had stayed a Christian. How so? Don't understand that. Well, Christ overturned everything too, right? That's right. Christ um, walked away from the Old Testament. Christ uh, rejected uh, Judaism. Christ accepted life after death, heaven and hell, because, of course, in the Old Testament, you're dead, you're dead, right? So... Christ walked away from a staggering amount of ancient, I guess, what, 3,000 years or whatever it was, but at that point, ancient theology. Right. I mean, Christ walked away from more theology than you have as an ex-Christian. I mean, you give up 2,000, he gave up 3,000. Yeah. And so, in walking the path of Christ, you actually can't really stay a Christian. Because Christ reinvented, opposed, overturned. He came. I said, I'm here to set 
father against son, child against parent, everyone against everyone. I come not with peace, but to bring a sword. And so Christ is an emblem of asserting one's own conscience in the face of overbearing and ancient theology. And so if you accept Christianity without an examination of your own conscience, then it seems to me you almost couldn't be further away from where Jesus came from. And it is certainly true, if you think about it, of course, that everyone who founds a revolution is terrified of the counter-revolution or of the continual revolution, right? So the moment that uh, Lenin got power in Russia in 1917, he immediately began looking about in paranoia for counter-revolutionaries, right? For uh, those who were not pursuing the ideal now of obedience to revolutionaries who only have power because they were disobedient to the existing power structure, right? According to UPB, if revolution is universally preferable behavior and all revolutionaries say they have right on their side, then revolution should be continual, right? But everyone who gets in power immediately wants to, like everyone who stages a coup, immediately wishes to prevent anyone else from staging a coup. That's inevitable, right? It's natural. Yeah. And Jesus staged just about the biggest coup that can be imagined. Because his was not an alteration of mere political power. His was the extension of human life to eternity. There was no no bigger revolution, you could argue, really, in, in history. And so to me, you are walking the path of Christ far more closely by thinking for yourself, examining your own conscience and being willing to overturn theological history. You're walking the path of Christ far more closely than if you showed up in your Sunday best and put 20 bucks in the collection plate. You're closer to that which you worshipped now, I believe, than if you'd continued to do all of the rote stuff that uh, Jesus really overturned in his day, right? Right. What do you think of that perspective? No, that I... I I think that that's definitely true. Um, comparison, like I, it's it's a lot. You know, there's this all this emphasis in the in the Bible about you know following well what was true and you know you know build your house on the rock and all this types of thing, right? And so you think, all right, fine, I'm just going to pursue truth, and then it gets to a point where what they told you you know, to fall truth and what they're telling you are, are two different things. So I think uh, uh, I, I would say that's, that's right on. I, I would agree with that. Now, <clears throat> as you're aware, Jesus faced staggering amounts of despair and self-doubt and, of course, was eventually murdered. And the people, the mob, chose to free the thief rather than the savior of mankind, right? Right. 
And so all that he strove to say from everlasting damnation, they literally spat in his face, made him wear a crown of thorns, stuck a spear in his side, and freed a priest, sorry, and freed a thief rather than Jesus. When Pontius Pilate came and said, you know, we'll let someone go free. And so he was attacked and vilified by everyone, almost everyone he was trying to save, and betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver, right? Right. If you wish to really understand, I think, what Jesus went through, all you have to do is start thinking for yourself. Now, he had a personal relationship with a deity that I obviously don't believe exists, but you have a personal relationship with philosophy. And philosophy is something that we impose upon ourselves, but also something which is imposed upon us through the body, through the senses, through the empiricism of that which is real. And the reason I'm saying all of this is that how long has it been since you uh, made the jump to philosophy? Uh, it was September from 2013, so just over a year, I guess. Yeah, 14, 14 months or so, right? Yeah. And would you say, is it unfair to characterize it as a, a valley of darkness, uh, of some emptiness, of some fear, of some... Some it was it was a it was kind of a weird feeling because at at on on one side when I when morality became empirical and rational, uh, I it was very exciting, you know, because it was like hey, you know, like all this gray zone that was before where it's like oh well, people would always tell me it's it's in context, but they never would put anything in uh, in context. Uh, so that that part was really exciting, but um, the part about just my life uh, totally changing and not you know my just my way of thinking about things totally changing that that was definitely scary. So there was it it, it wasn't all um, all awful, but it, yeah, a, a lot of it was. All right, and socially. Yeah. Like your relationship with your own mind and with reality and and philosophy was, I'm sure, quite beneficial, right? That's the benefit. That's the that's the carrot, right? Yeah. But socially, um, it's pretty it's pretty horrible. At least it was for me. Yeah. It's pretty horrible. I mean, very few relationships survived philosophy for me, and that's very painful. And that's why, of course, you don't get a lot of revolutions in thinking, right? I mean, true revolutions in thinking. You know, Christ mixed it up a little, but it was still religion. Marx mixed it up a little, but it basically was still religion. <laughs> and <clears throat> democracy, I mean, the, the founding fathers and the, the, the Enlightenment thinkers with the idea of a republic, I mean, it was, it was relatively new. And they didn't have the benefit of experience to see just how impossible it is to muzzle the mad dog of the state in any permanent form. And it took, you know, two, two and a half generations for the government to break the bounds of the Constitution and go on its usual village-crushing rampage through America and then through the world. 
So real innovations in thought are very rare because we're social animals who are devoted to truth. And most of society has been this tension. We wish to pursue truth, but pursuing truth comes at the expense of our relationships. We are driven towards truth because that's what our brains are the best at. The best at extracting universal concepts from individual instances, creating universal rules, universal laws, when we're free to do so. Right. And freeing philosophy from the grip of society, of uh, social prejudice, of superstition, of nationalism. Well, this is the same thing, we, we, same thing I'm trying to do here as those who wished to free citizens from the aristocracy, to free the economy from special interest groups, to free science from religion. In the pole between our urge to conform as social animals and our drive toward truth as conceptual beings, this is an unholy tension. And most people, as social animals, slide towards the acceptance of others. And those of us, and with the internet now, it's become faster and stronger, or a faster and stronger process. Those of us driven towards truth can now do so for some of the first times really in, in history and accept the loss of tribal status that comes with the pursuit of truth because the truth is the opposite of a tribe. I mean, nobody ever refers to mathematicians as a tribe, right? Or right. scientists. There's no, the earth is round tribe, right? The tribes are always yay costume, you know, as I said in the last show, or yay face paint, or yay biological and geographical proximity. And, you know, for men it's like yay eggs or whatever, but a, a tribe is bound together by a shared delusion and creates an identity for people that the rational man threatens fundamentally. When you become rational, it's sort of this reverse sixth sense situation. When you become rational, other people experience that as you walking up to them and starting to disassemble their bodies. You know, like some malevolent kid with a Ken doll. Just out come the legs, off come the arms, twist off the head. That's how people experience rationality because they founded their identity on shared delusion, on tribalism, on you know, sports and religion and armies and nationalism and patriotism and so on. It's all lies, falsehoods, tribal. Rational man comes along and people feel that they are being disassembled. People feel literally that they are being made insane, that you are coming along and holding them down and injecting them with a drug that induces psychosis and, in fact, induces permanent psychosis. Tribalism is permanent psychosis, but when you live in it and reinforce it with other people often enough, it becomes a kind of reality to people. Like, it, it feels true because everyone sees the dragon, and you see the dragon, well, there must be a dragon. And if someone comes along and says, there is no dragon, 
well, it's deeply shocking to people. And when people say, look, I've just reached into the dragon and there is no dragon, I've just walked right through the dragon, it, it, they feel like they are going insane. Yeah. And they attack, as, as you would attack anyone who was going to inject you with some drug that would make you mad. That would be, um, you would view that as a violation of the non-aggression principle. Yeah. I'm a proud American. <laughs> Countries don't exist. You know, it's like a, I'm on team vampire. <laughs> well, vampires don't exist. And the level of terror and rage that lies in the heartless heart of people who have thrown their lot in with the collective delusions of the mob, I mean, it's horrifying. Unfortunately, has to be done. Sorry. Yeah. It's not my fault. Uh, two things are not my fault, or your fault, Scott, for that matter. Number one is we are not responsible for the collected delusions of history. It's not my fault. It's not my fault there's no God. It's not my fault there are no countries. It's not my fault that gov government violates the non-aggression principle. It's not my fault. And people get mad at me. It's not my fault that adult relations are voluntary. I was always told as a kid to shun evildoers. Shun mean people, shun abusers. Okay, mom, <laughs> I was listening. It's not my fault. You know, the, the first guy that comes up with two and two make four was probably burned at the stake too, probably offended some <laughs> trinary god or something, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, because as you know, I mean, in Christianity, one and one and one make one. <laughs> That's the math of the Holy Spirit. But anyway, um, so it's, it's not my fault that there are all of these shared delusions that, that human beings have inherited. It's not my fault. It's not my fault these things aren't true. Number one. Number two, it's not my fault that individuals have chosen delusion over reality. It's not your fault. I mean, what they're doing is, you know, if you take sort of the ethics and integrity out of it. Right. They're just rolling the dice. They're just gambling. And I, I, I get and understand that gamble. I, I really do. I get it. I get it. Because <clears throat> if no asshole comes along thinking clearly and communicating clearly, then throwing your lot in with the delusions of the tribe is a pretty good deal. Because no one's going to come along and overturn anything. And, and for most of human history... As you could see from the unbelievable stagnation of most of human history, throwing your lot in with the tribe made really good sense. Yeah. I mean, tribe won. And then, a, you know, a very small minority of incredibly brave people took bullets and flames and human sacrifice and torture and imprisonment for the cause of truth. And since then, you know, we've it's been more of an explicit tension. So there is an instinct for everyone to go along with the tribe, because usually when you didn't, you got killed, and if you did, you got eggs, and you got to reproduce, right? Right. And so I get, and I, I completely get and understand why people are like, yay, costume. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Like, if, if no asshole comes along who speaks the truth, you've made a really good bet. 
and throughout most of human history, that bet was really good. From a rational calculation standpoint, yeah, that's what you want to do. But um, that's not how it is anymore, right? I mean, lots of people coming along and shaking things up and uh, bringing better and clearer thoughts to the world. And so it becomes increasingly, I become increasingly less sympathetic, which doesn't mean condemnatory. It just means less sympathetic to people who decide to throw in with tribal batshit. Right. I mean, come on. Come on. <laughs> There's been enough revolutions in human thought. I mean, you got to know that tribal bullshit is coming under increasing scrutiny. And so, to me, people now who throw their lot in with tribal crap, they don't really have much right to complain when people come along and try and reason them out of it or reason those around them out of it. It's like, come on, you could have seen this coming a mile away, 10 miles away, a light year away. And so I just, I have less compassion. You know, it, it, to me, it's like somebody who's like, ah, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to save for my retirement. I'm going to smoke and drink and play the lottery. Well, one of those may solve your problem, right? You, you may die, you may win the lottery. You may die young. But if you don't live the lottery, win the lottery and smoking and drinking doesn't kill you, do I have a huge amount of sympathy? No, not really. I mean, you just, you made your choice, right? It's like people who don't want to have kids and then get really lonely in their old age. Well, it's not the kid's job to keep you company in your old age, but they made their choices, right? They get old and, you know, they retire and, I mean, who gives a shit about you when you're old? I mean, unless you're doing something great for the community or whatever. I mean, who gives a shit? There's so many old people. You just live alone. I mean, I knew this because I grew up in a very poor neighborhood, and there were lots of single moms, and there were old people whose kids either didn't come to see them or didn't have any kids. And, boy, they were some exceedingly sad and depressing specimens. Yeah, I gave up on bathing. Just stayed home and did God knows what all day. Didn't contribute to the community. Didn't open up their hearts and do anything useful. Just got increasingly weird and embittered and negative. And to me, it's like, okay, well, I've spent almost six years being a full-time dad. It's taken a staggering amount of time and effort and energy. I don't begrudge that. I think it's great. I knew what, knew what it was going to be when I signed up for it. And people, they make their choices. You know, if, if some woman decides to, you know, screw around in her 20s, get a career going, get her education going, and so on, and then is freaking out because she's 35 and there's no man in sight and her eggs are rotting on the vine, it's like, I, I just, I don't, I don't get where my sympathy should come from. Everything in life is a cost and a benefit. Everything is a trade-off. Everything. You know, someone smokes and they get cancer. Or like, I'm, I'm sorry, obviously they got cancer. I'd rather they didn't. But you can take what you want and pay for it. 
and there's outside of bad luck and so on. But so these kinds of choices where people say, you know, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to just go with the old oldie time religion, and I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to be told everything to do. That pisses me off, and and it, I think it should piss off Christians too. I mean, you're given free will. You're given an individual conscience. You're given a personal relationship with God. So what the hell are you in a herd for? Talk to God. Talk to your conscience. Why are you all in rows listening to one guy drone on about what you should think and how you should act? You got the Bible. You got your conscience. You got your God. You got your free will. Break it up a little. And so just just in brief, there is a social reaction to an independent thinker, or as I like to call him, a thinker. <laughs> and that social reaction is to make you as unhappy as humanly possible so that for those who are even tempted by thinking, they can look at you and say, well, shit, I don't want that guy. I don't want to be, I don't want to be like Scott, right? Yeah. And this, and of course, that's what they tried to do with Jesus, too. Nail him up, feed his followers to the lions. It's like, well, I don't want to, don't want to be that, right? But for a variety of reasons we don't have to get into here, the Streisand effect went out and, and uh, became a very powerful religion in the world, and the most powerful religion in the West. So if you can get through the 40 days in the wilderness if you can get through your march, your socially ostracized and punished march through the valley of the shadow of darkness, then you can be inspiring for people, but it takes time. It takes time to learn to accept and absorb your social punishments and to return back to those who have harmed you with love in your heart, a song on your lips, and a wide embrace of reason and evidence in your arms. But it sounds to me, if, if you're just 14 months into it, you may not be at the bottom of the upside-down bell curve of being socially punished for thinking for yourself before you can uh, return from the wilderness, or, as they say, come back down from the mountain, or in Zarathustra, come back from the clouds and uh, return to speak your truth in a way that, that is... Because, at least if you're like me, when you first get the truth, you whine. You complain. Yeah. And you're petulant. And you're like, come on, guys. Come on. It's the truth. Come on. You don't have a <laughs> counter-argument. Come on. What's the matter with you guys? Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I could go on. <clears throat> but it sounds like you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, um, a, a question I, I guess I, I would have this then, like, I, I, I want to be honest with all my relationships, but I, I you know, it, it's talking to some Christians, they either don't understand or, or don't want to understand what I'm talking about. I, I think there are a lot of uh, more or less atheist or empirist people who don't don't understand what I'm feeling and then think, oh, this here's just uh, some religious guy with his, his problems 
and even I've I've been to about three different therapists, and it, it's been really uh, I've had trouble communicating this. So so you know, one of them turned out to be a Christian. So after about four or five different times talking to him, I said I I need to move on. But uh, what what would you suggest? Like I I when I'm Meeting someone for the first time, I, I want or just in striking up a conversation. I, I want to be honest with where I'm at, but I I, I don't want to be um I I don't want to be too off putting either because I, I I don't have to be. So it's I, I know in real time relationships, you know, you you want to be as honest as exactly as in the moment as as you feel these things, but. Uh, do do you always want to be super honest with everything you're going on? You know, usually the first conversation you you don't want to be that that overloaded. Would would you agree, or what would you suggest for, for something like that? Well, if somebody asks for a drink, you don't turn a fire hose on them, right? Yeah. I mean, they could try and drink from it, but it's not going to be that comfortable, right? Yeah. So if somebody asks you for a drink, you get them a glass of water, right? You don't get them a glass of urine. <laughs> you don't uh, <laughs> poke them in the eye. You don't right call in an airstrike. You don't turn on the sprinkler. You get them a glass of water. And so when you when you meet someone, you can be honest. But that doesn't mean you have to, you know, staple them to the armchair and go on for two hours about how difficult or how exciting or how challenging your life is since you discovered philosophy. But you speak the truth, um, and you see how they respond. But but speaking the truth, like and, and being present to the situation, is there being two people in the room, right? Now, when you're going through something intense, it's hard to focus on other people, right? Right. And so if you're going through something intense, and you want to talk with someone else, you know, recognizing and knowing that is important. So you can remind yourself to ask more questions of the other person, right? Right. If you're interested in, in them, in that person. It's, it's kind of weird. It's, it's like previously it's like with, uh, it's with anything with, well, previously, well, my beliefs, uh, before it's like yeah when you when you meet or talk to someone you know you always want to just focus on the spiritual and and don't judge them based solely upon their actions and and now it's like oh well that's that's all you have to judge people on is is just that so it's 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 kind of weird and before it's like yeah don't don't do that at all and now it's like well no that's that's exactly exactly what what you have to do Yes, because of course, in the realm of truth, there is no soul. Right. And so, so as a Christian, everyone you meet has a soul which cannot be destroyed and which cannot be turned solely to evil, right? Right. And so, when you meet someone as a Christian, you can always try and find God within them or the mutual connection that you both have in God that is inviolate in both of you, right? Right. And that is a, an exceedingly dangerous superstition that has put more 
Christians in the thrall of evil than I can possibly imagine. You know, excuse me here for a moment. Fucking Christians, stop going to war, you assholes. You unbelievable assholes. It's right there. Thou shalt not kill. Stop putting on a uniform and stop blowing the fucking heads off anyone that the assholes and the chimps in top tail point at. Just stop it. Stop going to war. Yeah, yeah, defensive war. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jesus Christ, the mass suicide of the First World War was all committed by Christians. Christian leaders, Christian army, Christian soldiers, Christian generals, all Christians. All of them. Second World War, same goddamn thing. Other than Stalin wasn't an atheist among them. And Stalin was just another kind of, he had a more secular religion going on. And it was, when I first learned about the First World War, was when I first really began to say, I'm sorry, what now? We got all these Christians who say, follow your own conscience. We have Christians following a prophet who was willing to die rather than bear false witness against his own conscience, who was willing to die rather than surrender to the authorities, whether secular or theological. A man who told his followers to love their enemies. And all of these Christians, when told to blow someone to bits 20 miles away, by pushing a button on an artillery unit, did so and slept the peaceful sleep of the righteous. That's one of the first times that I, as a little kid, that I really understood that Christianity could in no way, shape or form, stop war. In fact, there's a dangerous weakness in Christianity in that the secular authorities are perceived to be put there by the deity. Yeah. And therefore, to obey the secular authorities is to obey God. You rancid, soul-eating motherfuckers. Like, could you think of a more dangerous doctrine? The whole goddamn thing is founded on a defiance of secular and religious authorities. And then it grows into, obey the king. Yea, verily, unto death, slaughter, murder, and genocide. Germany, I, uh, by, Germany by far the most religious country. Yeah. In mid twentieth, in early to mid twentieth century, Europe. Yeah. How successful was that shit at getting them to not slaughter people by the millions? Did not work. No. No. One of my uh, when I was having a conversation with one of my, well, I guess previous Christian friends that I was pretty close to, I was talking to, well, how, how do you know if God's, uh, God's in favor of a certain revolution? And it's like, I said, I it wins. Him, yeah, it wins. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, well, are, are we winning or for losing? If the revolution's winning, then God wants it. As soon as you lose, you need to switch sides because he doesn't yep. want it. So you have to go with, go with whoever the winning side is. <laughs> Which means God was in favor of communism. Over the Orthodox Christian Romanov family. Yeah. Okay. And of course, all that does is teach people to be as brutal as humanly possible. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, 
that becomes unfalsifiable. Whoever wins, God, God's on their side. It's like great. So I get to bet. I get to bet on the horse after the race is over. All right. <laughs> sounds like it sounds or, legit. Or don't find yourself fighting on the wrong side. Just <laughs> whatever well, side. Just... Or switch. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it is. Um, <laughs> you know, religion as a whole. Religion is to man's warrior instinct as the welfare state and fiat currency is to women's hypergamy. It takes a natural instinct that should be limited by reality and by voluntarism and turns it into a truly sky-eclipsing tumor of excess. To obey a human being as if that human being were a god turns hierarchy into a vertically integrated slaughterhouse of near, near infinite predation. Right. And that, of course, is the great danger. And now, of course, the differentiating between what Christ lived and spoke and what Christians, modern Christians do, well, they're not even remotely the same, I would argue. And, uh, but I would say that... Um, in terms of thinking for yourself and being willing to live the truth and have the truth inform your relationships. See, nobody cares about the truth if it doesn't inform people's relationships, if it doesn't determine people's relationships. Believe whatever you want. Believe whatever you want. Just pay your tithe. Basically, that's what it comes down to. It's when when the beliefs interfere with relationships that people really get screwed up about beliefs. But those are the beliefs that actually change the world. I mean, Christ was very clear that he was coming to disrupt relationships, to destroy relationships, to set relationships on fire, to separate children from their parents and so on. Because if, I mean, if if I'm an atheist and I still go to church and still sing hymns and still do everything that a Christian does, what the hell does my atheism even mean? It has to change something. Yeah, it's my issue with determinism. It's like, what the fuck does it change? I'm a complete determinist. Well, what does it change? You still get to debate. You still get to love. You still get to hate. Okay, I'm a determinist too because it doesn't, doesn't mean anything. <laughs> doesn't doesn't change your behavior in any way. The moral belief changes your behavior, not just your thoughts. But the more a belief changes your behavior, the more it is both loved and feared in society particularly if the idea is virtuous, then it is loved by the virtuous and feared and hated by the evil doers. So if you're willing to have your beliefs actually change your behavior, then you're like the fat guy who's not just thumbing through diet books to look at the pictures, but is going to actually change what he eats. And uh, so if you're willing to do that, then you are part of a very select few of deep-hearted heroes who is the only gravity that changes the orbit of the world. I mean, that, that's the only thing that matters. And given that you're a young man, how many people do you want to come to your funeral? I, I guess, uh, well, the I guess as many true, as respectful people as possible who, uh, yeah, Really, but even though I think historically, like uh, like someone like even 
who have been reading about like Thomas Paine or someone most of the time. Oh my God, that's a terrible answer. Oh my God, that's a terrible answer, Scott. How many people do you want to come to your funeral? (laughs) A lot of people. How many people do you want to come to your funeral? How is that a terrible answer? I told you my answer. No, you didn't. You were going off about Thomas Paine and this and that. And then I said a lot of people, and then you asked me the same question again. But I was pointing out... What does a lot mean? Well, I was pointing out that I passed a very influential people that that did the right thing had zero, like even a lot of them probably aren't even remembered or known to this day. Like I would rather am saying. Well, do you want to come to your funeral? Five, fifty, five hundred, five thousand, fifty thousand. How many people do you want to have come to your funeral? I don't care if it's zero or I don't care. Honestly, I don't care if it's zero or I don't care if it's 10 million. Like my actions are going to be the same regardless about how many people come or not come to my funeral. No, but you're reversing the cause and effect there. Uh, how? Like, because why? if you do great good in the world, yes, people will come to your funeral. Not necessarily. There's been a lot of people that have done great good in the world where they're vilified for it, right? Give me an example. Well, that's, I, was, I was giving the example of Thomas Paine primarily, right? Because he started a revolution. A lot of people read, read his book. But he had, he had very few people come to his funeral and very lots of people, they're hardly recognized, right? Like even when <laughs> – yeah, yeah. I, I, of, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of Victor Hugo when he had his funeral. Victor Hugo, I mean, wrote a lot, and and, and Charles Dickens, and when, and in some ways, I think contributed very positively to the human conversation. But right. um, and, and like tens of thousands of people lined the streets for their funerals. Right. I remember one of his poems um, on Thomas Paine's funeral is, Poor Tom Paine, there he lies. Nobody laughs and nobody cries. Where he has gone or how he fares, nobody knows and nobody cares. And this was one of the most influential, you know, people of the day. Like, it was the common sense. Like, you, you probably know the history better than I do. But, man, that, that book was right there, just right out of the Bible. It was the most widely read thing. And I, I just found that amazing, like that someone could, you know, spark, you light that, could light that spark and let, you know, you had hardly, uh, hardly anyone recognize him. Same with, we were talking about, or you, we were talking before about Jesus earlier, like before he died, not many people originally, well, I guess the original funeral, not many people liked him, right? So if we have him in, in that aspect as an example... So as as far as how many people come to my funeral, for me that's that's not that's not my motivation. Even though I I, I understand what you're saying. Well, I didn't say it was your only motivation, or even I didn't mention anything about motivation. Right. Now, but let's let's. I mean, sorry, and and Mike Mike dug this up, and you were completely correct. Uh, Thomas Paine remained in France during the early Napoleonic era but condemned Napoleon's dictatorship, calling him the completest charlatan that ever existed. In 1802, at President Jefferson's invitation, he returned to America, where he died on June 8, 1809. Only six people attended his funeral, as he had been ostracized due to his criticism and ridicule of Christianity. So, um, thank you, I didn't know that. Now, 
if you live a life of inconsequentiality and that then then very few people relatively will attend your funeral i think that's fair to say yeah now if you live a life of consequentiality then it's more likely that people will care when you're dead you're right so i'm not saying live your life in order to get lots of people to come to your funeral i mean you don't want them coming in cheering right <laughs> <laughs> well it depends on the people i guess right yeah i guess so i guess so but the reason that i asked that question is that if you affect people's lives for the positive for the better then they will care when you're dead right and particularly if it has if what you say has an effect on their relationships i don't really know that thomas paine despite being an amazing pamphleteer and 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 so on and writer i don't know that he really affected a lot of people's personal relationships and personal happiness i don't know i mean i'm just just guessing now jesus did though right right I and mean, people became born again people changed their entire tribes based upon what jesus said and did and the degree to which you can get people to pursue the virtuous and shun evildoers is the degree to which you will give them the potential for the greatest gift in the world, which is love. Right. I mean, if you find a cure for cancer, then there's not a lot of companies that make chemotherapy drugs who will come and come to your funeral and, and all that, right? I mean, they probably don't hate you because they might get cancer themselves, but, you know, most people will love you, a few people will hate you, right? Or right. not hate you, but view you as, you know, I'm glad he did that, but now I've got to find a whole new business, right? Yeah. So, so the reason that I'm, I'm saying all of this is that when I was uh, sick with cancer uh, two years ago, I got huge numbers of messages of people who were very um, upset that uh, I, was, I was sick, yea, verily, possibly unto death itself. Now, that's not like, well, yay me, that's good. I mean, it's not, it was not anything to do with ego, but what it, it meant is that I was a source of, of enlightenment and steadiness and encouragement and clarity in their lives. Right. Now, I've, I've barely started as far as this goes. I mean, this show is, I mean, six, seven years old or whatever. I've, I've barely begun. I mean, hopefully the resurgence of philosophy that I'm trying to engineer or promote will continue for many, many years after I'm dead. And I do want a lot of people to come to my funeral. I mean, I'll be dead. I'll have no more consciousness of my funeral than I do of the 18th century when I wasn't born. But I want people to come to my funeral and to be moved because I spoke the truth as best as I could 
as powerfully as I could, as courageously as I could, under threat, and was inspiring. And that the body is dead, but the inspiration has moved into the hearts of others is the point. You know, all candles burn down. The question is, how many other candles do you light while you still own the fire? Right. One of, um, and I, I totally see where you're going, because if you help a lot of people and you connect to a lot of people, those people are instantly, you know, they're, they're going to care uh, when you're sick and they're going to obviously care um, care when you die. The, the only- yeah, like I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, yeah. Everybody's like, well, socialized medicine and Obamacare and shit. Bullshit. <laughs> I, I have a healthcare plan called helping people. Yeah. Right, because when I needed money to go and have surgery, people paid. I yeah. have a healthcare plan called helping people out. Generosity, kindness, not charging for what I do for these conversations, not charging for my books, not charging for my shows, not doing advertising. I have a healthcare plan, just like I have a welfare state plan and an unemployment insurance plan called helping people. Those who truly help others have nothing to fear from the happenstances of life because you have a safety net called mutual obligation. Right. right. The welfare state, the, the Obamacare and socialized medicine, they're just the demands made by people who aren't doing much to help anyone else. Right. So that's why I was pounding at you. How many people do you want to come to your funeral? Well, of course, if you live a virtuous and, and public life of encouragement and rationality and courage, there's no guarantee that people will come to your funeral. But so what? If you don't smoke, yeah. there's no guarantee you won't get lung cancer. I mean, just ask Andy Kaufman, right? No, that, I, I'm just saying there, there could be like historically, like if someone asks like who, think Alexander the Great, if you ask the average person, actually including, I'd include myself in this, who was... Who is his number two general or right by his side? It's like, n- nobody really knows. It's like, oh, I was someone probably important back then, not really important now. Oh, and yeah, like name, feel- name me a congressman from the 18th century or the 19th century. <laughs> yeah. Name me a congressman yeah. from the 19th century. And people are like, uh, I don't know. But they were big deals at the time, right? Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And, um, you know, just uh, eventually, I, I don't know from here, maybe – if humankind is still alive just billions of years from now, would, you know, your effect, whether people realize it or not, you know, it'd be like, yes, maybe like if, if Stefan Molyneux wasn't here today talking philosophy, uh, you know, it wouldn't be as great as it w- was in the future. Like it, if it, we could fast forward to that today, like people may not even know Stefan Molyneux, but if you could see kind of the before and after, you know, it's like that's that's what he did, and for the few people, you know, maybe they're just historical researchers, maybe or or maybe I don't know, maybe people will know your name, but well, uh, 
you know, history, people say, wow, this guy was amazing. And I, I, that's kind of how I want my life to be. I want, I want to live a certain way, even if it's just a couple of people, you know, who, who delve into the history books and say, wow, you know what, this, this guy, Scott, he, he, he really was, had a ton of integrity in, in a time where, you know, a, a lot of people around him didn't seem to have that, that same integrity. And that's, that's, that's kind of how, how I look at it and uh, how I want for my life. So even if people don't know me millions of years, I, if there was a way to do that before and after, you know, if Scott was here, if uh, kind of like, uh, what's that uh, old fashioned kind of Christmas, um, uh, Christmas thing with the, the angel who comes back, uh, he tries to kill himself. Um, I don't know if I'm making sense here, but uh, is it a, like an old black and white movie? Uh, I'm. Tr- it was. It was really popular. It was about his brother fell through the ice, and he, he tries to kill himself, but the angel saves him, and he says, "This is what would have happened if." It, I think it's a wonderful life. Is that what it's okay. called? I, I, I haven't seen it in like thirty years. So oh, you haven't seen it. Uh, there is a whole thing about it comes on it every Christmas. But uh, yeah, yeah right. it's it, it's same type of thing. The the guys he's really depressed about because he owes a whole bunch of money. But uh, pretty much, angel shows him. You know, if you didn't live or if if you weren't survived, if if you had never been born, this is what reality would have looked like if you weren't here. And of course, everything's much worse. And then later, he's not so depressed because he realizes that you know all these little actions and things that he's done has really it's it's totally changed changed the planet so that's that's when i envision i guess the ideal for for my life that's that's the same thing i want to accomplish good yeah because i mean if you're going to go through this right if you're going to go through this rejection of tribalism for the sake of truth at least get a giant pot of rainbow gold at the end right (laughs) yeah Right. I mean, don't don't go through this, and then I, I say this because I've seen this happen with other people. They break from the tribe, and their big fucking prize is a giant horse feeding bag of bitterness. Right. Just cynicism and bitterness. Yeah. I mean, just just watch the movie Boyhood for a huge. <laughs> documentary example of this but um but yeah they just they 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 you know people keep choosing the thieves over the prophets and uh they just they just get bitter you know the the great challenge of rejection is to return with love yeah i don't mean like being a stalker you love me it just <laughs> you know not to the same people who rejected you but people reject you harshly in the hopes that you'll turn from the world as a whole right Right. Which is bigoted, right? It's like, well, you know, when I was a kid, um, some black kids robbed me. It's like, oh, well, all blacks must be thieves. It's like, well, no, that's just a bigoted response to an individual instance, right? Right. And I was robbed by <laughs> far more whiteies than I ever have by anyone else. It's called inflation. <laughs> but um, that's my thought, is that what makes it worth while to go through that rejection and that isolation is the positive impact you can have through a renewed commitment to uh, bringing 
the joy of wisdom rather than the alienation and pain of truth. Yeah. Back to the world. Yeah. No, I, it was, uh, I remember feeling at one point that it's like, man, the only way given the world, uh, I can live just, just out of spite. You know, that was the only way I could live. Like, I hate this. I hate, you know, and just, just, I think even just having this conversation, I think it's, I really, really appreciate it too, because having people that kind of even yourself have been through something similar where the average person just looks at you like you're, you're crazy or you don't know what you're talking about. It's, it, it makes, really does make a world of difference. Yeah. The people, the tribe will try and paint you as an outcast, as horrible, as mean, as bad and whatever, right? They'll, they'll try and, yeah. and that's a big warning sign for everyone else not to go your way. And that's how the tribe maintains itself. Right. And if that's where you end up, you might as well have stayed in the tribe. Yeah. Like, that's that's a bad deal. <laughs> that's a bad yeah. deal. Like, I'm now rejected, and I don't even get to the joy of wisdom. I just yeah. got rejected. Well, that then, then it becomes – philosophy then becomes an act of masochism, right? Not, not liberation. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, go, going back to the battlefield to pick up the enthusiastic wounded, well, that's the great challenge. It's not hard to get off the battlefield. Lots of people do. They just, they ghost, or they go MGTOW, or they just opt out, right? It's not that hard to get off the battlefield. Just stay home in your underpants, eat Cheetos, and play video games. Yeah. You're off the battlefield. But going back to dodge the bullets to get the young and the hopeful and those who can not only be saved, but can save you in return by rewarding your return with enthusiasm. Well, that that is the bigger challenge. And um, a lot of people can be driven off the battlefield in bitterness, but very few people can come back and quiet the guns. And I think that's that's the goal. Anyway, listen, man, I got to move on with the next caller. No, so, I totally understand. Uh, just one quick thing I want to mention is uh, last month I read your book Revolutions, and I thought it was excellent. By the way, so I just oh, uh, thank you. I, I just wanted to say I, I really enjoyed that. But I'll uh, I'll let you move on. Well, thanks. Yeah, not not a lot of people know that I got my start in art and fiction, particularly in novel writing. And um, so I'm really glad that you read it. I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. That, gosh, I'm trying to think. I wrote that uh, 22 years ago. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And um, feel free to call back in any time. All right. Thanks, Steph. All righty, man. All right. Up next is Jonas. Jonas wrote in and said, I got married in June 2013. My wife and I have been separated since August 2014, and we have agreed on but not yet finalized our divorce. She wanted to live out a flirt with another man and asked for my permission. I reacted by throwing her out. Did I overreact? Should I take her back? Okay, so if you don't mind, give me a Give me some more details, please. Yes, Mr. Stefan, I just want to say thanks to being on the show. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, uh, we got uh, married after uh, knowing each other for three years. Uh, uh, we got married on her uh, initiative. Uh, and uh, after that, the, the marriage in uh, uh, 
June. Uh, or I, I, I can start uh, even a little bit uh, before. Uh, she was quite young when I met her, and uh, she was quite impressed of uh, my living and uh, my reputation of uh, being an, uh, uh, a little bit up in the status. I'm an MMA fighter. Uh, I got my own business. Uh, it looks like uh, I'm doing pretty well for myself. So anyway, so we started to date, and she's doing quite well for herself as well. She's very successful in her line of work. Uh, so I impressed her by that. So she took an initiative to to ask me out, and we dated uh, a couple of months. And uh, uh, then my uh, mother passed away, and uh, it uh, took pretty hard on me. So I needed a uh, environment change. So uh, I joined the. Uh, overseas forces and uh, was away on a mission uh, for uh, seven, eight months. And uh, actually, it was actually longer than that. I was away uh, 11 months. Uh, I was offered also to do uh, some extra time to stay in the in the service. Uh, but because of uh, uh, my, uh, my girlfriend, we weren't married at the time, uh, I declined and came back. To, uh, to be with her and uh, she knew that I uh, uh, was offered extension for, for, for the service and uh, she was afraid for me to, uh, to extend the contract so, uh, so she uh, uh, was very uh, close to me at that time and I think that's also why she proposed to me uh, not to want to lose me so anyway so uh, of course I wanted to marry her as well but it was kind of on her initiative uh, but anyway after we got married and she uh, just two three months after we uh, the marriage uh, she got a not a co-worker, but in her business, uh, she's a publisher, had a different uh, published uh, company from a different country. And uh, uh, they uh, started to do some work together. And I saw quite early that they were uh, getting very well along. And uh, that relationship uh, uh, developed uh, through that time to be what, uh, from my point of view, was not really okay for a married woman uh, and I think I reacted in a way that uh, that I, uh, I pushed her away a little bit because I didn't want to get uh, hurt by the situation so maybe I pushed her a little bit uh, forward to this uh, other man instead of uh, dealing in it with uh, a more sensitive matter and uh, therefore, their their relationship probably developed a little bit faster than if I would have been uh, not so uh, quote called uh, to uh, towards her because of, because of this. And uh, eventually, it was so blatant uh, that it was just a matter of time for her to actually acknowledge that uh, it was probably just more than. Uh, a developed of friendship and trust. 
do, do you understand roughly what kind of uh, situation? I, I, I think so. Um, I got a couple of questions, but but first, if you can tell me, yes, did you believe she was having an emotional affair uh, with this no. man in the before before she ended up having a, uh, an affair affair? Uh, she, she actually never uh, had a physical affair. Uh, yes, I think uh, uh, my uh, wife is uh, a lot younger than me. I'm 13. She's uh, now at uh, she's just uh, 20, 23. Uh, and uh, I'm actually the youngest uh, guy that man that she has been involved with. So she likes really older men and uh, uh, successful men like uh, father. Uh, father issues or uh, father gestals uh, and also this man is uh, also very successful in in what he do he's all like uh, almost for 40 so he i think uh, he, they they developed almost uh, uh, some kind of trust and uh, almost like uh, the trust that you can get to a therapist almost i think she uh, she developed to 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 this man uh, I can mention that uh, my my wife uh, have, have no father, so she, that's in her own opinion why she seeks or older men to find uh, find trust uh, together. Right, and I guess my other big question is: you said that your mother died. Yes. And you joined the army. Yes. Help me understand that seems like an odd sort of two things to put together. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I did my service, uh, mandatory service, when I was uh, 18 uh, in, the, in the Scandinavian Armed Forces. Uh, I did fairly well. Um, I had an idea of uh, going to uh, military high school to uh, become an officer. Uh, but due of uh, lots of uh, fights and violets, uh, I was uh, uh, and uh, not inappropriate. I kept uh, because I was a good soldier. I kept the good grades for it, but I got a little remark that made it re- not really possible. So I put that uh, ideas uh, on side, and uh, I started to develop uh, my own. Uh, uh, company, uh, which uh, was uh, I had a carpenting uh, company, uh, and then um, developed uh, from that into uh, an event industry. I've done a lot of different stuff, uh, entrepreneur-wise. I, I have uh, lots of creativity, but uh, as soon as I feel that nothing is a challenge anymore, uh, I change directions. So uh, it. It may look like I have lots of resources. I uh, had a really nice cars and stuff like that on the company, but uh, I, w- I was never able to stay with the same business idea for such long times to get a really good turnover. And that was also frustrating for, for my wife. Uh, but anyway, so when my uh, mother died, uh, she, me being an MMA fighter as well, I cut uh, some weights before the fights. And uh, when my mother had a little bit of a, uh, uh, growth, she, she wasn't fat, but she wanted to drop weight. 
So I told her what I do before fights, just to get on a couple of kilograms. Anyway, uh, two, three weeks after that, she dies in a, in a heart attack. And uh, my parents are um, uh, separated. Uh, so she lived with uh, another man. Uh, so this man blamed uh, the diet, that the diet advices that I have given uh, for, for the reason to the heart attack. Uh, and I felt that uh, I just needed to... to uh, uh, get away from from the family and uh, and uh, everything. So th- then I joined uh, the uh, the foreign army. Okay, so sorry, who was it? Who was it in your family who thought that you might have killed your mom? Uh, I, he, he he didn't appreciate put it like that. But uh, my his uh, my mother's husband. And what do you think? Uh, yeah, I thought that at the time. Yeah, could be possible that uh, maybe uh, what you put in yourself uh, results in also how your organs react. Was it a very extreme diet that you suggested? Uh, some some people, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it can it can be no not. It's it's mainstream, but uh, you, it's a big change, and uh, uh, it's basically uh, a low carb diet where you cut off pretty much all the carb that you have, and you get the energy from uh, fat and protein. Uh, and I, I do it short period of time, and uh, I feel fine from it. But uh, uh, some studies say that. Uh, that it's not good for for the brain activity uh, to cut too much carb uh, and also to get too much fat can be a problem for, with the with the blood flow for example but I'm going to assume that she also would if she's going to adopt some radical new diet that she would talk to a doctor too right uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, uh, she, she, she had been on diet uh, for for a couple of years. Tried uh, different, different, uh, uh, different, different dietary. So, I mean, but but you, do you do you believe that your advice contributed to her death? Uh, not. This is uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, at at the time, I felt it could be. Could be, yeah, but uh, uh, I've sp- spoken a lot uh, of it uh, to to friends, especially in the in the army, because it was so recent to it. So uh, uh, I, I I don't I don't feel that way uh, today. Yeah, because I mean, it struck me that something strange had to be occurring for you to say, "My mother died, and I decided to become a paid killer." Yeah, luckily I didn't didn't uh, have to put uh, put that to the test. But uh, no, I, I get it, I get it. Yeah. But you wouldn't know that going in. So if you say, "Well, I, I think I might have killed my mom, so I'm going to go become a paid killer," I mean, that's quite a dense psychological experience, right? Uh, yeah, yes, it is. But uh, it's also linked. Uh, Linked to to my uh, 
previous uh, army experience, and I also been uh, working in uh, uh, private security in Africa before, mm-hmm. uh, between my uh, my business. Right. Uh, so, so I have uh, I have had a pretty uh, rough past of violence in in my history, which I'm not proud of. Proud of. So now, hang on. So. Where do you think your capacity for violence came from as a child? Uh, I, I think it's because uh, I always uh, hold my ground. So when I was in kindergarten from uh, first years in school, I will always hold my ground if I see something uh, being wrong. I have never bullied anyone, but I have uh, uh, never been bullied either. But uh, when I've seen things that I believe is wrong, that uh, someone is talking to me in the wrong way, uh, especially when I was younger or doing things, I hold my ground in a, in a way that maybe lots of other children doesn't hold their ground, which results in, uh, in fighting. Well, um, so you didn't, uh, you weren't hit at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got uh, got spanked a little bit from my uh, from my mother. Yeah. Um, and what does that mean? Uh, that means that I, uh, as I can recall uh, from my memory, maybe four times spanked. Uh, uh, I remember the last time. Then, uh, uh, so, so, so it's not too frequent. It's, uh, uh, but anyway, the, the last time was I was too, uh, I grown too old, for her to actually uh, put a put a lay a hand on me, uh, which resulted uh, that I uh, was able to actually throw her. To the to the ground, or actually to to uh, to the couch, and uh, that was also the the last time that she ever ever tried to to spank me again. So only only four times. And what about your father? He he never spanked me as a as a child. Uh, I, I was shit hell afraid that time I threw down my mother because she was going to tell my father, but. Uh, uh, I was so scared, but uh, when he came home, uh, he actually he actually just spoke to me. Uh, so that was quite nice. But uh, I got slapped a little bit when I was 15, 16, 17 after uh, after my parents got divorced. I ah, see. So you were 15 or so when your parents got divorced. Uh, yes, I think I was 14. And what was their marriage like before they got divorced? Um, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm adopted, so uh, they they are not uh, oh. uh, just for the for the fam- how the family constellation was. It's uh, they had three children of their own, uh, and then they had uh, me. Uh, I've been with them as long as I can remember. Uh, from from birth, pretty much, and uh, then I had an older brother who were also 
uh, in childcare. And then uh, I have a younger sister that's also in in uh, childcare. So totally, we were six six kids. Um, sorry, six kids in the family with your father and mother that you've been talking about. Uh, no, uh, eight with my father and mother. So I have a sister who is uh, ten years younger than me. Now, sorry, when you say sister, just because, uh, do you mean your biological family or your adopted family? My adopted family. I have no contact whatsoever with my biological family. And and sorry to interrupt, uh, do you know how old you were when you were adopted? Uh, It it was pretty much from birth, so one week, two days, something like that. And do you know um, why you were put up for adoption? Uh, Yes, because my... uh, uh, biological uh, father uh, died uh, from uh, heart disease and uh, my biological mother wasn't amped to take care of a child okay okay all right okay so thank you for for that background um now the um, you said that your wife was um, I, can't, I can't remember how much younger than you. Um, seven years younger. And you were thirty, if I remember rightly. She was twenty-three. That was some. Yeah. Okay. And um, uh, on a scale of one to ten, how pretty was she? Uh, I, I would say eight, but uh, people in general would say ten. Nine, oh, so. You have you you are more critical of your wife's appearance or your ex-wife's appearance than other people are. Uh, I would say so. Yes. Why why do you think that is? Just out of curiosity. Because uh, other people have, uh, in general, quite low standard. Okay. All right. All right. And. Um, was it primarily her looks that attracted you to her in the first place? Or was it her character, her virtues, her... Uh, I, I would love to say that uh, it was her character or virtue, but uh, being a man, like like a beast hunts for, for beauty, uh, of course, and her being so popular that she is, she was a very attractive target. Uh, so, she was like high status, right? Yeah, yeah, in in that sense, yes. So uh, that made it uh, for me, in initially wise, a challenge. Right, right, right. Okay. And what do you think that um, she saw in you? Uh, she saw someone who were very, first of all, very good-looking, uh, very successful. Yeah, you're uh, a good-looking guy, right? I mean, just looking at your avatar. Okay, yeah, thanks. Uh, someone who can uh, speak uh, his mind, not afraid of other people's opinion, uh, and generally an alpha male. Uh, I, I, I had everything, it looks like I had the resources, but which I don't. <laughs> uh, 
uh, which uh, it's something that I have never cared about. Uh, I rather live really poor and live my day as I want to live it than put uh, hours into an office that I don't want want to do. So that's a big uh, fault if I want to uh, uh, find a woman. At least that's how I identify if I'm insecure to get a woman that's my backside. I'm really poor. Right. Now, would you say that there was any coincidence between your reduced circumstances and your wife's desire to have an affair? Uh, sorry, take that question again. Uh, did she want to have an affair when you were either unavailable because of military service or had less money or less success? Uh, no, no. She uh, she has been very fine with me having uh, uh, no regards regarding money. She, she has been fine to... Uh, she has a nice work, so she makes good money, or uh, at least uh, compared to me. Uh, okay, so uh, when when did the uh, when did her uh, interest in the other man start? Just let me make sure I understand this timeline. Uh, like two months after uh, our marriage. Right. Uh, she's being a, a, a publisher. And uh, we were at a, at a seminar uh, where this uh, f- foreign person attended as a, a host speaker. Uh, he's, he's not, he doesn't look much to the world. He, yeah, he looks like an author normally does when they are around 40, a little bit shabby, uh, old clothes. But uh, in her mind of sets, it's very high status of what he do uh, for a living. Uh, it's the same kind of work that uh, my wife does, but so in, in, in the world like that she moves. Star. Sorry to interrupt. In the world that she moves in, this guy's higher status than me. Uh, in uh, yes, yes, it's it's uh, uh, he would be considered to be a rock star for a regular young girl who have no interest or career in a certain field. Okay, okay. So um, I don't know if you've ever heard, uh, I'm going to be annoying and uh, give you some education about uh, about women. And this is not all women, blah-de-blah-de-blah, the usual caveats. But, um, you know, (laughs) not all tigers are albino. (laughs) Or not, not all tigers are non-albino, but the majority, right? So this is something that's called Brifault's Law. Brifault's, B-R-I-F-F-A-U-L-T-S. Brifault's Law. And uh, this guy was a, a novelist and a historian, a social anthropologist, and a surgeon. And um, he, uh, it's, 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 he's sort of working around the turn of the last century. And you can look him up if you want. Um, his first name is Robert Briffaut. So this is Briffaut's law. And I think it's relevant to your circumstance. Are you ready? Yes. The female, not the male, determines all of the conditions of the animal family. The female, not the male, 
determines all the conditions of the animal family. Where the female can derive no benefit from association with the male, no such association takes place. So that's that's sort of the main central thrust of it. Um, and again, we're not talking philosophy, we're just talking biology, but it's only because we've had biology that we have philosophy, because the brain is a, a wetware biological organ, right? Yes. So, this is very important for men to understand as a whole. Again, this is not all women, but this is a common enough pattern that if you don't know it, you don't know women. Okay. So the female, not the male, determines all the conditions of the animal family. Where the female can derive no benefit from association with the male, no such association takes place. Fair enough, right? There are a few corollaries. Number one, past benefit provided by the male does not provide for continued or future association. Right? So... The fact that you were higher status in the past or provided some benefit in the past is no guarantee for now or for the future. No. I guess not. Any agreement where the male provides a current benefit in return for a promise of future association is null and void as soon as the male has provided the benefit. Number three, a promise of future benefit has limited influence on current slash future association with the influence inversely proportional to the length of time until the benefit will be given and directly proportionate to the degree to which the female trusts the male. Okay, so with regards to marriage, I'm not trying to shoehorn your experience into this, so you know, yeah. tell me if I'm, if I'm way off base. Um, it is the female who determines the conditions of the animal family. And this is true for most species. We are a species of mammal. It's true for most species. Um, mating occurs when the woman wants it to occur. And if the man provides benefits to the, women, uh, to the woman, then the woman will associate with the man. But no amount of past benefit guarantees future association. And if you say, basically, I'll take you out on a date, but I hope we'll have sex, right? When the woman's been paid for the date, there's no, there's no guarantee, right? No. And hypergamy, of course, as you know, is the woman's desire to want to marry up. And again, we can't fault this in any way, shape, or form. Because that's why we have evolved as a species, the woman's desire to marry. I mean, a lot of people in the manosphere sort of view this as some horrible negative thing. It's like, well, no. The woman's desire to marry up, to, to, to go for a higher status male. Yeah, and that's the thing that uh, throws me off a little bit because uh, I'm following you with uh, these points and uh, I agree in general terms uh, with them. Uh, but the thing is, she, she said that she didn't want to leave me she just uh, said that sorry she didn't want to what uh, she didn't want to leave me uh, she, she just asked for my per, uh, permission to be able to spend some time with this guy right uh, and do you know what do you know what that means it, that if i allow it that she eventually would leave me no. no what it means what it means 
is she's not sure that she will be able to keep him. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, she is the predator. Uh, and, uh, oh, no, I get that. I get that. I get that. I get that. But let me ask you this. If you have a job that's good but not great and you want yeah. a great job – and and somebody says, well, you know, maybe maybe we might have a spot. Why don't you come around next week for an interview? You don't quit your current job, do you? No, no, but that, that's that's what I mean. No. That if I no, allow let me it, finish. Let me finish. Okay. You wait. You wait until you have the new job, a written offer that is secure before you quit your current job, right? Yeah. And so for your wife, my guess again, I don't know. It's a guess. If she was here. We'd ask her. But my guess would be that she said, well, I'd like to explore spending some time with this guy to find out if he's as high status as I think he is and to find out whether I can trade up. Yeah, I'm following that. Because that was my uh, suspicions as well, that if I were going to allow this and uh, let them meet in a private fashion, it would... Either go uh, that way, that uh, either that uh, she feels uh, for him and leave me, or that uh, he starts to feel for her and she doesn't feel for him, and it will just be a mess in, in that direction as well, or that they feel for each other and she would leave me. Right, right, I, right. I, I did. I didn't see any uh, win solution, actually, for for any part. Well, the the winning solution was to to get out. For me. Yeah. Yeah. In my humble opinion. Uh, yeah, but still, still, I don't feel like a winner. Oh no, no! I'm not saying you won. <laughs> it was a winning solution given the circumstances. It was the best move you could make doesn't mean that you're happy it just means you only lost a toe or a foot rather than a leg and an arm and a toe and a foot right yeah that's that's true uh, so but uh, after our separation we we didn't speak for uh, for uh, a good uh, two months and uh, we just recently start to pick up a conversation again. All right, and why is that uh, happening? Uh, I think it's... Uh, uh, maybe I'm taking uh, marriage seriously. and uh, No, 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 I don't mean for you. <laughs> I mean for her. Uh, I think she feels uh, some kind of uh, sick... Uh, even though I'm not providing for her and stuff like that, I think... She still feels uh, a, a securityness. It's not an English word, I guess, but uh, a safetyness, uh, a comfortness uh, <laughs> with me. And uh, what did she? Sorry, did she pursue this other guy? Uh, no, I, I know for a fact that they haven't been in contact after uh, our separation. And did you know that? That wasn't my question. My question was: yeah. Did she pursue him? Not. Did it work out? Uh, no, no, she, did, she didn't uh, pursue him. How do you know? Uh, because uh, 
uh, it's she's been very on she's she's a very honest woman she hasn't uh, uh, even when they started wait wait wait, wait hang on hang on hmm. when you got married yes, yes to her she, yeah did you did she make a vow yeah to remain faithful to you uh, yeah, I think so. I hope you so. You think so? What do you mean? I need to, I need to check the recording. After no, but was was that the general understanding? Like, did yes, you say, yes, well, you know, yes, if you're interested yes, in someone else, go for it, right? Yes, uh, of course it wasn't like that. Yeah. Okay. We, we, we so, yeah. so she made a vow to be true to you, to be faithful to you, to be monogamous with you, right? Yes. And then she wanted to go and explore having an affair, right? Yeah, something like that. The fuck do you mean by honest then? Are you and I using the word in a different way? Uh, no, but the, maybe she didn't even last two months for Christ's sakes. Yeah, I mean, what the fuck is honesty to you? I'm it's sorry. Not- I know you've been in the army, so I'm sure swearing doesn't matter to you. But I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, She's a very honest woman. She promised to be faithful to you. She couldn't even make it for the rest of your life. She couldn't even make it two months. Yeah. Before breaking the most important vow she ever made in her whole goddamn life, and you're trying to sell honesty to me? Are you kidding me? How pretty is this woman that you're trying to bullshit me? Uh, it, it wasn't that. I she, she's it. not an eight, man. <laughs> I'm telling you. She, if you're going to try and bullshit me on this with honesty, come on. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the part, uh, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, from, uh, Good. From so the... stop bullshitting me. Okay. No she's not an honest woman. Okay, uh, wrong world. She was very open with her behavior from the very beginning. She has never nope. tried to... No, no, stop it, no. man. For God's sake, stop okay. it. Okay. No, uh, open, no, open is saying, well, I'll get married to you, but, you know, I'm still keeping my eyes peeled. Yes, I'm not going to be monogamous if something better comes along. Okay, I, I will try to formulate this as... Uh, Put this to a sentence uh, so, so you understand uh, what what I actually want to. No, say. no, no, no. Listen, listen. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to participate in this where your dick wants to paint her virtuous <laughs> to me. Okay. Uh, no, seriously. I get that your dick wants to paint her, but it's not virtue. Okay. But, That's the money shot here, right? You, 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 you know, egg, right? So I'm not going to participate in this thing where you try and sell this woman to me as a virtuous woman or an honest woman or an open woman or a frank woman or I don't give a shit, right? Yeah. She made a vow to you. She didn't even last two months. Yeah. So don't try – you want to sell her as virtuous to me so that you can go and have sex with her. Eventually. Come on, man. <laughs> it's uh, guy to guy here, right? Yeah, no, no, no. You're not sitting on Oprah's couch, okay? You don't have to, tar- you don't have to put makeup on your dick hunger. I got it. I got it. Okay. Uh, no, no. Of course, no, no. She, it was. Uh, what I mean is that she, she broke your heart. Yeah, but, uh, she it, broke your heart in the most brutal way imaginable. Yes. In that you were married for two months and she was already. Wanting to go and maybe fuck another guy. Yeah. Um, who was uh, higher status in her world, right? Yeah. Okay. And Isn't this just an unbelievable bitch? Yes. But what I wanted to try to say that she didn't try to hide it at all. That's what's the. Well, is that your standard of virtue? 
No. She stabbed not. me. She, at least she didn't fucking poison me with something I couldn't taste. Yeah. Is that your standard of, oh, she's great because she, she shot me openly. She didn't use a silencer and then say it was someone else. For Come on, man. You've you got to raise your standards a little bit here. The fact that she honestly shredded my heart in two? Come on. Uh, if, if you look at the women generally, it's very few women that actually shoot you in the head in front of you. The most would poison you. Well, then you got to start hanging out with better women, man. Because, uh, look, I'm telling you, if this is your standard, that, that yes, I married her. She promised to stay monogamous forever. She lasted two months. At some point during those two months, she wanted to fuck someone else. But uh, she's the best woman around that I can possibly find? Come on. Yeah, but uh, do, do you believe in change? Do I believe in change? Yeah. No, don't don't get sophist on me. Good. First of all, I wouldn't be doing the show if I didn't believe in change. So come on. Yeah. I mean, it's going, like going to a nutritionist and say, "Do you believe in dieting?" Well, of course, it's the whole gig. Yeah. Right. That's the whole gig. But what evidence do you have that she has worked really, really, really hard for years to change? Uh. Um, she gone to therapy? Whatsoever. Uh, has she has she fallen on her knees, sobbing and wailing her heart out for how much she hurt you? That she actually haven't uh, done yet. No. Did she drag you into a marriage and then put your heart in a fucking blender and hit frappe? Yeah. So look, yeah, I believe in change. Absolutely, I believe in change. And because I have gone through change. I know that it doesn't just happen because your dick gets hard. Yeah. Oh, look, she's changed. I have an erection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, change is <clears> – <throat> I mean, geez, I worked on self-knowledge for years and years and years. I went to therapy for years and years and years, three hours a week. I wrote books. I kept a journal. I, I mean, talked about stuff, everything with my friends. I mean, I just – that's change, right? That's change. And you never have to ask if someone has changed if they've really, cha- if they've really changed. Oh, it's yeah. sort of like yeah. if someone was 100 pounds overweight, you don't see them for six months, they come back and they're 100 pounds lighter. Do you ask if they've changed? No, of course not. Of course not, because it's completely evident. It's like someone gets a tattoo on their face and you say, gee, I wonder if something's different. Change is so evident that... When it's there, it is undoubtable. And it shows up in so many different areas of life. That And, and the, methodology, the methodology of change is not exactly some ancient Aztec untranslatable mystery. You work really hard. You confront your own demons. You go to therapy. You keep a journal. You... Apologize to the people you've wronged, you deal with, and and your whole relationships go into the shitter. I mean, just look at your first caller tonight. Yeah. You know that someone's changed when everyone around them hates them now. (laughs) Right? Hatred is the the payment for change made by the stagnant. (laughs) It's the coin they, they use. 
So you, I mean, I'm just, I can't participate in, I want to fuck her, so I'm going to portray her as a good girl. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know I will uh, uh, say uh, this uh, uh, talk against myself now uh, mm-hmm. with, with this uh, statement, but uh, just a, a general feeling, it feels like, uh, like a safe, safe card to take her back and not try to find safe? someone yeah a safe card yeah that's the contradiction what Lorena Bobbitt not available for dating um what what does that mean a safe card this woman got married to you and within two months she wanted to fuck other guys yeah yeah that's the contradiction it's uh, it's not very safe no uh Man, I'm telling you, if she's the safest woman around, you you gotta you gotta move your Get heart. Back to the <laughs> yeah, holy shit, holy shit. I mean, I've had some inconstant women in my life in my day. Yeah, but nothing quite that bad. Oh, she's a fucking dubbed. Do you know what? Why I think she actually starts to find interest. To me again, mm-hmm. because uh, uh, I, I just got accepted to uh, to one of the elite universities in my country, ah. and uh, that was like a small life changing for me because I never knew what I wanted to do with my business. I still have it, but uh, I, I, I doesn't really want to work with it anymore. So I study now political uh, science. So your um, your status is going up. Yes, and uh, it's oh right. You you wouldn't believe this in uh, Scandinavia. Uh, political science being, uh, especially in this school, uh, with with the status on the school, uh, it's it will be a lot of my fellow uh, students that will come out and have a lot of influence in the in the community after mm-hmm. they uh, exit. Uh, after the exam and it's so many young girls and women uh, who are you know the Soviet Union how the political party of the communists uh, maintained uh, the rule of the party with the political commissars I see these young girls being the future of those but in gender in so-called equality. It's really scary. Right. Just yeah, so... so of what yeah, so it, her capacity... Yeah, I mean, one of the things that can happen, of course, is a woman can say, oh, I'm going to go for a higher status guy, but I'm not yeah. sure I'm going to be able to catch him. I'm not sure I'm going to either get him or keep him, right? I mean, yeah. it's easy to fuck an alpha. It's hard to keep an alpha, right? And so... She may have said, well, you know, I can trade up to highest state of sperm, which is what, which is why we're not in the caves and why we're not swimming with the other amoeba, right? Yeah. And so she went out and gave that a shot. And how long has it been since she divorced or since you separated? Um, so six months. Six months. Okay. So she's had six months out there trying to figure out what her eggs are worth, right? Yeah. She put, she's put them on the egg bay of generalized male horniness, right? 
So she's gone out there and she's dangled her eggs and saying, hey, how much are these worth? Right? I mean, I was married to this guy. He's married to Jonas. And I'm just wondering, can I get any more than what Jonas had for these eggs? And she's out there and, you know, her value, I mean, not in six months that much, but her value in general will decline. Will decline. How old is she now? Uh, 23, turning 24. Uh, oh, so, okay. So she's 23, turning 24, like right now, right? Uh, yeah, in a couple of months, yeah. Okay, okay. So she's out there and she's saying, well, what can I get? And she's finding that she can maybe able to have sex with the guys, but she can't get them to commit. And your status is going up. And she's like, oh, shit, right? Maybe, maybe Jonas was the best I could get. Yeah. But the thing is, isn't all uh, women like that? No. No. Uh, but even though women who is not like that, haven't they been like that before they stopped being like that? Well, I don't know. Now you're asking for some sort of psychic all-time, all-women knowledge. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's like, look, I mean, men think about sex with a lot of different women. And women think about sex with high-status men. Right? So a, a, a saying that women are into high-status is like saying men like young, fertile women to have sex with. Well, of course. Yeah. Of course they do. I'm sure that women do too, right? I mean, who wants to have sex with Jack Nicholson, who looks like Mr. Magoo, wax figure left out in the sun too long? And who wants to have sex with, uh, I don't know, Chris Pine, right? For a woman, right? Or a guy, right? So, yeah, yeah of, of course, women want high-status men and men want young, fertile women. Yeah, I mean, but that doesn't mean... And, and will, will men always want high, young, fertile women? Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean that a married man is going to go have sex with young, fertile women. I mean, we all like chocolate usually more than kale. But that doesn't mean you just eat chocolate and have your teeth rot out, right? I mean, you, you can make sensible decisions knowing your nature. But if you deny your nature, you're doomed, right? And now your nature is to go crawling back on your penis – yeah. To get access to these eggs and you'll invent any amount of bullshit. And I know, I've been there too. Look, I mean, I'm not preaching from some high amount of immunity. You make up some shit. Well, I'm sure she's sorry. I'm sure she's learned. I'm sure she's grown. Egg! Right? <laughs> and you want to get your rocks off. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, it's going to come at the expense of your honesty with yourself. See, Women have pounded into men, you know, oh, you just, you know, like young tits and ass, you're so shallow, bloody, bloody, blah, right? And and I think that's actually been, you know, kind of helpful in some ways, right? Yeah, you know, there's there's some truth in that. You know, we, we remain fertile, although sperm quality declines, we remain fertile a lot longer than women do. And the more resources we get, the younger women we can, at least in the past, right? Now women have become almost as shallow as men. As far as this goes, it's not shallow. It's deeply biological. It's just philosophically somewhat shallow. And um, but but women haven't admitted to hypergamy and Brufal's law, right? Women still have to cloak their sexuality in. I just wanted to be close. 
You know, he's just a deeply spiritual guy. You know, I mean, yeah. you, were, you were just emotionally unavailable. I just, I didn't feel close to you. And I guess, I guess because I didn't feel close to you, I got drawn into the orbit of someone else. You know, I'm sorry, but, actually but your heart was uh, exactly like, like her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and of course, if, you know, guys are like, well, you know, I, I had sex with the Dallas Cowboy cheerleader because I guess you were just a little bit emotionally unavailable to me. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and I guess she was just in my orbit and she was a sympathetic ear to listen to my problems. You were always too busy, always seemed too busy to listen to my problems. So I guess I just ended up fucking the cheerleader. Like nobody would believe that from a man, right? No, not the um, Right, you say cheerleader and it's like we already know alpha female as far as youth and fertility and looks go, right? <clears throat> so women just aren't acknowledging in general. Well, I thought I could get a better price for my ex, so I wanted to fuck this guy because it looked like he'd have more resources. I mean, I know I said I was married to you, but, you know, didn't turn out that... I mean, I remember a friend of mine, his wife uh, was telling me once... Uh, Oh yeah, when I met this guy, he was doing this, he was doing that, he was he was going to be a professional, he was working in media, and and it, none of it really panned out. None of it really panned out, and she was bitter. In other words, she played the egg lottery, or I guess she pay, played the penis lottery, and came up kind of snake eyes. And the guy wasn't making much money, and he was a very talented guy, very talented guy. I mean, didn't have the emotional maturity to harness it, but but women, you know, men have men have sort of been pounded into being honest, and yeah, we admit, young TNA is what gets our sperm flowing for sure, and um, we accept that, we know it, and and we work within the limitations of those desires. But literally, women talking about their own sexuality is is like a, a young kid promising you that he likes or she likes broccoli more than chocolate. I mean, it's absurd. Yeah, we get it. Your eggs want the highest status, most resource man you can get. And this used to be well known in society and the welfare state came along and screwed all that up, right? Now, yeah. now the, the woman can use the man to get resources from the taxpayer. So it's not even like a high status man can be a man with medium resources and dick-drunk eyeballs so that she can then marry him, divorce him, and get, especially if she's got a kid, get stuff from the state. Or, or the, the man with resources can be Barack Obama. Married women vote Republican. Single women vote Democrat. Why? Because married women already have a husband. They don't need the state. And... Um, so until you know, and I'll I'll keep pounding this, and other people, of course, will keep pounding this until women just fess up and say, "Yeah, we're as shallow as men." Right? They go for young eggs, and we go for old money. Yeah. And I mean, because until they do admit that, at least as a tendency, nothing's going to change, and men are going to have to listen to this absurd nonsense. 
well, I just found the highest status male. I guess he, you were just emotionally unavailable. So I just, I, I, you know, I mean, the heart wants what the heart wants. And, and basically you get blamed for your wife's hypergamy. No, 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 no. Blame biology, maybe. Don't blame the man. No. And, and the fact that your mom didn't tell you any of this and the fact that your father didn't tell you any of this, I mean, what did your... Are you still in contact with your dad at all? Uh, yes, yes, we, we, have a, we have a good what contact. Did he th- yeah, what did he think of your marriage? I, I, I shouldn't have said good contact, should I? Uh, it's, uh, I, I, I've never really spoken to people in, in my life. Uh, I've always been holding things for myself. Uh, uh, so, like, uh, when my marriage... Uh, uh, parents divorced. I, I never spoke to anyone about it. So we went to a family counselor therapist to speak, but I uh, I, I just uh, walked out. Uh, and uh, in one way, that that has lived on uh, in the relations with my family. Uh, I have a really good uh, uh, relation with uh, two of my brothers. Uh, those I, I sp- uh, now uh, when when I turned. 24, 25, after I've been in Africa, then, then I actually started to p- talk to people quite a lot, but uh, I haven't uh, really taken so deep conversation with, uh, with with people around me, except my brothers and friends, but not my, not, not my father. But we have a good uh, relation in that sense that we uh, meet and uh, speak uh, I don't know what the comparison would be co-workers maybe right right yeah so I mean I'm trying to do what other people's parents should have done which is to talk about the frank nature of incompatible or not hugely compatible gender preferences yeah yeah, that would have been appreciated 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have to see women for what women are in general, not for what we want them to be or how they portray themselves to be. Or or whatever propaganda is, is served up. Um, and, and to understand that biological drives are biological drives. It doesn't mean that all women are slaves to them any more than all men are slaves. Two biological drives, but um, but I mean you know the first first thing to solving any problem is to admit that you you have one and their hypergamy has become a big huge problem. It's always been a challenge, but it's also been a huge benefit to the species. You know the fact that women go for alpha males is why men want to get bigger and stronger and faster and richer. Yeah, it drives. I mean, it drives male ambition to a significant degree. There's nothing. I mean, I don't. There's no value judgment about any of this stuff. No, it's very true. I, I actually just feel it from this time in separation that I have actually peaked in uh, in my training and uh, in my performa, just uh, in social life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I don't I don't view this as all as negative. The fact that that men want to impress women and men want to get resources to get the most attractive woman. It's nothing wrong with it. It's just, it's, it's completely fine. It is, 
you know, saying that there's anything wrong with it is like saying that there's something immoral about testicles being outside of the body. Yeah. It's just the way that that it works, the way it's evolved. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just value neutral. And there's been great benefits, but there are also great costs. The great benefits are it drives male ambition. And male ambition is the foundation of most of what we call civilization and society and so on. I mean, we're talking over TCPIP, which was, I'm sure, developed by guys who wanted to make money and get laid. So no problem with it. What, what bothers me is that it would, we're just not honest about it. See, we could be honest about the drivers of male sexuality. We cannot be honest about the drivers of a female sexuality. And um, female sexuality has to be all kind of Vaseline lensed and Hallmark cards and just, I just want to be close to you. It's like, no, she just wants to be close to your resources. And your vagina is a, you know, a giant vacuum that sucks up resources and spits out children. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just the way it is. Yeah. And children, you know, we are a species that requires the most investment of just about any species in our children. So naturally, you need a lot of resources to invest in your kids. Again, it's no problem, though, but we just can't be honest about it. And because we can't be honest about it, a lot of guys are really getting taken to the cleaners. And where we're blind to the nature of female sexuality in its rawest form throughout the animal kingdom, where we're blind to it, it is a great danger, right? Uh, all things of great power that we are blind to go from neutral to dangerous, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally see it. And uh, I, uh, I agree with you. I just wonder how, how to deal with it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, uh, I think just to be, to be honest with yourself and, uh, I mean, there are some obvious signs to, to be aware of. I mean, a woman who overtly puts sexuality forward as, as a central part of her presentation is a big problem. Yeah. Need a woman that tries to sell her mind instead of her body. Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah. And I mean, this doesn't mean, you know, all women who are 300 pounds are virtuous or anything like that. But, um, yeah. I mean, let me give you an example. This is um, from Psychology Today. Yeah. From 1973 to 2008, nine surveys of women's rape fantasies have been published. They show that about four in ten women admit having them, 31 to 57%, with a median frequency of about once a month. Actual prevalence of rape fantasies is probably higher because women may not feel comfortable admitting them. Um, psychologists at North Texas University asked 355 college women, how often have you fantasized being overpowered, forced raped by a man-woman to have oral vaginal anal sex against your will? 62% said they'd had at least one such fantasy. But responses varied depending on the terminology used. Overpowered by a man, 52% said they'd had that fantasy. And this is, of course, women's romance fiction. I believe it or not, I've actually read a couple of these Harlequins. Yeah, um, it's big money in those, I heard. Big money. 
big, big money. Now, this doesn't mean that anyone who fantasizes about rape would actually want to be raped. And this doesn't no. mean that rape is, of course, blah, blah, blah. You know all the caveats, right? Yes, yes. And, um, yeah, I mean, what is the, the you know, this, this handsome, this handsome alpha loses, is so overwhelmed by the sexual attractiveness of the heroine that he, he loses all control and he just has to have her, right? And she says no, but then eventually she submits and blah, 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 right? And this is female porn. In other words, I my sexual power is so great that an alpha will lose control and rape me. Oh yeah, that's actually quite uh, quite well put in words. Now, I mean, is this something that we're honest about as a society? And again, this doesn't have anything to do with condoning rape, which is an immensely evil thing, right? But let me put it to you this way. When a man fantasize, when, when males fantasize about a menage a trois, like one man, two women, yeah, what do people think? Uh, oh, that's gross. I mean, not men, obviously, right? Yeah, not men. But a man who who fantasizes about sex with multiple women, well, I think a lot of you know that's not generally put forward as well. That's the cool erotic, right? No. Because women are like, what, I'm not enough for you? Now, of course, a man fantasizes about sex with more than one woman because that's what sperm are designed to do. Right? Sperm can very easily impregnate two women, even in the same sexual encounter. Start in one, finish in another, right? Yeah. And so it's, per- it, it's perfectly natural. Now, a woman being overpowered by a man also has some biological origins. Because in a situation where aggression wins, in other words, in a primitive society where it's not trade but win-lose, war, and so on, then for a woman to be overpowered by a man is a signal that her eggs are going to receive the most aggressive genes and thus her offspring are going to have the greatest chance of survival and blah de blah de blah right? Now, the fact that men are sort of shamed for having menage a trois fantasies, even though obviously a menage a trois we would assume is completely voluntary because it's not about bondage or submission. But the fact is that most men don't know that half or more of women regularly fantasize about being raped. And that there's a whole genre of fiction catering to rape fantasies of women. I mean, it's not even Fifty Shades of Grey, that's just the latest manifestation in an immense series, including... The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. But I don't know. Have you ever fantasized about being raped? No. Of course not. Because you're a guy. Yeah. I, I, so, I, I seriously sorry, didn't know that. That's... Of course you didn't. Of course you didn't. Because we can't be honest about these things. And this is just the women who are willing to admit that they fantasized about being raped. It's probably higher. Yeah. I think you're going to get some fan mails on these statements. Well, look, again, I mean, these are just the facts. Yeah. But male sex is... I mean, men men fantasize about things that are legal and not violent. Right? What you always hear about, oh, you know, pornography is so violent. But they're not talking about fucking 
<laughs> no, that's nothing. Harlequin romances, right? Women's pornography is far more violent than most male pornography because it's about forced sex, a lot of it. But no, women have got to be these Victorian flowers who, you know, lie back and think of England while the man violates them for the cause of breeding. Or it's got to be all about emotional intimacy and closeness. It's like, good Lord. I mean, there's a reason Fabio doesn't look like Woody Allen. Not that it seems like Woody Allen is into adults, but... Stuff in the romance that, novels, does uh, Fabio have to get yes every step of the way? Yes, can I touch your hair? Yes, can I kiss you on your <laughs> It will be regulated by law soon. <laughs> right. Right. Look, I mean, as far as that which normalized rape, women's romance novels are rape culture. And again, I, this, is, this is not a judgment in any way, shape, or form. These are just the facts. And the fact that... So, so women, you have never fantasized about being raped. But more than half of women are, are willing to admit on a regular basis they fantasize about being raped. And what that means is that they masturbate to fantasies of being raped. Men and women are quite different. Very different in many ways. Look... An older woman with lots of money probably doesn't do much for you sexually, right? No. Right. But, listen, I, I've known some writers. Yeah. Not a lot of writers have bodies that can compete with an MMA fighter. Am I right? Yeah, you probably are. Yeah. And, um, but your wife wanted to have an affair with some flabby-ass writer in his 40s, right? Yeah. Because he's high status. You see, men and women are very different. And there's a huge amount of propaganda designed to cover up the covetous nature of female sexuality. The, The ambitious, grasping, cold, acquisitive, sociopathic element of female sexuality. And look, this is not sexist. There's a sociopathic element to male sexuality, too. And by that, I mean Kim Kardashian appears to be a pretty horrible human being. Right? But the penis responds to the curves, which means she's not being seen as a human being. She's being seen as a sex object, yeah. which is using someone as an object to satisfy your own desires, which seems to me kind of sociopathic. And again, this is not a judgment. Male sexuality has sociopathic elements, which is why it responds to bad women with nice bodies more than good women with bad bodies. And again, it's no judgment. It's just the way it is. And women's sexuality has a sociopathic element to it as well, which is what Brufo's Law is, is talking about. It's about can you provide the woman advantage if you can? You will have an association. And past provision of advantage doesn't matter. You still doesn't guarantee your future association at all. The woman can do better. In general, she will. Trade up. And these are just things that you need to learn about because you and me have received a, an extraordinary amount of propaganda about female sexuality over the years, right? 
Yeah. And uh, it's all, almost all of it is a complete and total lie. And it comes back to the fact that we are simply unable to view women as equal to men. Most men with women are like liberals with blacks. They're just completely unable to see them as equals. And everything that could be said about male sexuality can equally be said about female sexuality. Some of male sexuality is sociopathic. Some of female sexuality is sociopathic. Male pornography or pornography that males respond to can be degrading. Pornography that females respond to seems kind of more degrading in that it involves rape a lot of times. Like, I don't know a lot of men who, I've never known anyone who is sexually excited by the idea of rape, but apparently there's a lot of women around that way inclined. But you don't hear that, right? Because it's all about how porn is bad because men like it. Well, of course, most women dislike porn because it's a competition, right? It's got nothing to do with anything ethical. Otherwise, they'd be... I mean, how many feminists have you ever heard chastising women for their rape fantasies? Uh, I, I never heard of, of it at all, so none. Yeah. No, no, it's just white males, right? Yeah. White, white males, particularly frat boys, because frats are where white males get together to talk about issues, and you can't have white males getting together to talk about issues. Otherwise, they might have some strength. So anyway, listen, I, I hope that helps. I mean, I just wanted to give you some hard-won wisdom. No, no, it's uh, well appreciated. It's all come down to the hard truth. And Good. I think it's just uh, you basically know this stuff like in your bone. It's just to, to actually uh, deal with it. Yes, and knowing this makes it feels initially like despair. Yeah. But it's not. It's not. Listen, I mean, <clears throat> if there's only one berry in 20 that you can safely eat, you sure as shit want to be able to know which one that is, right? Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to spend your whole life throwing up. So I yeah. say, you know, well, you know, majority berries can't really eat. And you're like, oh my God, that means I'm going to starve to death. It's like, nope. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is stop throwing up and eat the good food. Stop subsidizing immorality with your money, with your time, with your attention, with your consciousness, and with your dick. Yeah. No, it's just, it's that as well. It's all that time that you have invested in a person mm -hmm. for something that you wanted to lead to something, say, a, a family, children, it's four or five years of my life, and now I'm 30. <coughs> Am I going to invest the same time of amount in the next woman? Then I will maybe have children, if I'm lucky to meet, meet uh, her during the next year, or maybe I need a little bit more time to recover from, from my marriage. Yeah, I, I mean, I would definitely take that. I would definitely take that. And I'll, I'm going to, because my voice is uh, still a bit rough from a, a fairly lengthy cold, but um, so I'll, I'll end after this. But I'll give you just a couple of hints. I mean, look, I went out with a lot of women and found some good ways to find a good woman. So uh, I will give you some hints. Uh, of course, um, you can listen to 
Um, uh, let me just ask you one other question. Sorry, uh, Jonas, your uh, uh, wife or ex-wife or whatever the hell she is now, how was her relationship with her dad? Uh, he wasn't allowed to uh, to see her. Uh, I, I, she is not really sure herself what uh, what happened. Uh, but what? Post- yeah, what yeah, do you mean he wasn't allowed to see her? Like legally? Yeah, it was something with... Uh, Jesus. Yeah, so she has some really... Uh, according to herself, that's why she really have some serious fathers fathers issue issues and okay she, so so seeks the approval of uh, older older men uh, more in that fashion well, than other yeah men. that may be a very charitable way of putting it yeah um, okay but no what that means in general if if the woman has a shitty relationship with her dad yeah it means that she will never take responsibility for her own actions most likely and do you know why that is no because, because if no she has, has a shit they're down now no, because if she has a shitty relationship with her dad, yeah. then her mom chose a bad man to have children with. Yeah. Now, is the mom going to be more likely to say in that situation, I am so sorry, I really screwed up. I chose a guy for the, in all the wrong reasons and you have suffered. As a result of that, I'm incredibly sorry. I'm going to go to therapy so I can figure out how to get better people into your life. My child, you now have to grow up without your biological father because I made ridiculously bad mistakes and ignored all the warning signs for a bad father. Yeah. Likely? No, it's uh, the information I have about uh, her family. It's, uh, It's pretty spot on. Right. No, that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is that the mother is going to say, well, I had no way of knowing. I am not responsible. That man is just a bad guy. I am not responsible for choosing him as the father of my children. There was no way for me to know. And listen, I mean, I don't know if it's out where you are. Watch the movie Boyhood. I hate to give this guy money because he is an eerily horrifying propagandist. Yeah. But in the movie Boyhood... I think this woman gets, yeah, she's married three times. And, sorry, spoiler. It's not, there's no plot. So, really nothing to spoil. Yeah, so there's, she's married three times. And each each time, well, twice we see her meeting guys. And they're both incredibly wonderful and charming, great guys. It's only after she marries them that they turn into monsters, Right. And that's, that's the bullshit that you hear. So the mother will take no responsibility for choosing an asshole to be the father of her children. And so because the mother abandons all her responsibilities and all of her choices in the world, her daughter is going to grow up. That's the price you pay for abandoning responsibility. Yeah. For pretending you didn't choose what you chose and you're not responsible for what you chose. Then the daughter grows up Blaming men and exonerating women. In other words, women can do no wrong, and all the fault of society lies with the man. Yeah. All the fault of the marriage lies with the man. And this is just such a common trope these days, because women are making so many unbelievably bad choices these days, supported by the state. Everyone gets mad at the bankers for making bad choices. And I do too. But let's get also get angry at the women for making bad choices. 
mean, half of women in certain places in America now born, half of kids are born outside of wedlock. Half of American children will go through a fatherless home at some point in their childhood. These are catastrophically bad choices. And so look at the woman's relationship with her own father. It's going to be really hard, if not downright impossible, without massive amounts of therapy, it's going to be really hard for a woman to love you more than she loves her own father. Do you you understand what a deep statement that is? Yeah. So when you think of your ex and her father, if you'd have known ahead of time that it is virtually impossible for a woman to love you more than she loves her own father, what would that have done to your decision-making? Yeah, I would probably... Try to have read more, more into to to her. To to uh, her. Okay, no, no. Her listen, listen. Situation. No, the phrase that you need to get is yeah. "run screaming, cupping your balls." Yeah. Listen, her father is not allowed to see her, for God's sakes. Yeah. So if listen, you got to get this because that wasn't not even remotely strong enough response. A woman cannot love you more than she loves her own father. Asterisk, self-knowledge, therapy, blah, blah, blah. In general. Yeah, in general, not the universal truth. Yeah, look, I love my my wife more than I love my mother, but that's years of therapy and stuff, right? But in general, like in the absence of intervention, which is, I mean, how many people go to therapy for long periods of time and really work on themselves? One in a hundred? So... It's true. It, it's, it's universal enough that it's a great rule of thumb, which we're happy to be disproved about. A woman cannot love you more than she loves her own father. So you ask a woman, what's your dad like? How's your relationship with your dad? Yeah. Eh, you know, I don't really see much of him. I don't really have anything to do with him, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's going to be you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, You're auditioning good. for dad, Mark II. <laughs> right? would, would you say that it's true the other way around as well? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I'm talk- if I was talking to a woman, I'd say, yeah, ask about the guy's relationship with his mom. Yeah. And again, absent significant amounts of intervention, it's the same shit, different pile. Yeah, but then, then I guess my, me and my wife are pretty much in the same situation. Of course you are. Of course you are. And <laughs> the reason that I want to say this too is that if this was more... Uh, if this was better known, parents would have to act better, right? Because if if good men shunned the children of abusive parents, abusive parents would have to improve in order to get their children back on the marriage market. Or at least the kids would have to go through therapy, right? This is just another way of me promoting therapy. Right? <laughs> so that's number one. Number two is you can say to a woman – um, what what great things do you think men bring to the world? Yeah. Right? And if there's a pause longer than two or three seconds, run screaming, cupping your balls. Yeah, I think you will, these days you will only do running. Well, that. no, but, but good. Because yeah. if only one out of 20 berries doesn't make you throw up and 
shit diarrhea out of your eyeballs, then you better figure out which one is that 5%, right? Yeah, that's true. That's yes, true. run screaming. Yeah. That way you're not going to sit there and say, well, if it's five more women I spend five more years with to find out they don't work, I'm going to be 55. Right? Yeah. So you ask a woman, what are the great things that men bring to the world? And if she's like, uh, patriarchy, (laughs) (laughs) cap balls and run. Yeah. I mean, you can Google this yourself. Stuff invented by men. Or if you want to have an only slightly shorter list, stuff invented by white men. And and if the woman's on the birth control pill and doesn't know that the birth control pill was invented by a white man, <laughs> anyway. Um, so if a woman doesn't have any clue what great stuff men have brought to the world, it means that she's just being completely propagandized by all the feminist, leftist, communist bullshit designed to make men fearful to women, make, make women afraid of and skeptical and hostile towards men. Yeah. For, I mean, because if, if, if women are hostile and skeptical and scared of men, then they'll vote for bigger government. I mean, it's a very simple thing. You, you, you make women hostile to men, you get a bigger government. Because women are still going to need stuff. They need more health care and they're going to need resources for their kids. So if you, if you make... Women scared of and hostile towards men, you get totalitarianism. It's it's yeah. it's a beautiful um, swell to government power. I tried. I, I discussed that with a feminist classmate. Uh, I tried to point out the irony of how feminists try to escape from the patriarchy in the liberal feminists once in a while when they wanted to. They allowed to vote and now running forwards to what they once were fighting against. Yeah, my husband's being mean. I'm going to call the cops to protect me from the patriarchy. Yeah. Um, what now? What do you think the cops are? Oh, my God. Anyway, yeah, I mean, it's too, it's too ridiculous for words, right? But so, yeah, what, what, you know, what's your relationship with your dad like? Um, what, um, what benefits have men brought to the world? And what benefits do men bring to marriage? Right? I mean, listen, people say to me, what benefits do women bring to marriage? I go on all day. Yeah. I could yeah, go I, on I, all I, day. I would do too. And, um, but if you say to, to a woman, well, what, what benefits do men bring to marriage? Again, if there's a pause of more than three seconds, duck and roll. Right? Shield the nets. Elbows out. Knees bent. Run. Um, what does she think of divorce? Well, you know, if you're unsatisfied, (laughs) you know, if you've tried to work at it for a while, but it's just not working out, I think it's fine. Run! Because what she's then thinking is she's only thinking of her own needs, not the needs of the children. Right? Children hate divorce. Let me tell you that. Children hate divorce. It's horrible. Well, you know. It's horrible. The only thing that it can be is a relief from two idiots screaming and beating at at each other. 
So <clears throat> that would be on what do you think of divorce? The other thing too is um, say to moms, uh, say to ask women, what do you think of single moms? They're heroes. <laughs> single moms are, are heroes because it takes two to tango. And I guess that guy just ran away. So those women are heroic for raising those children alone with so little help. Run! Because she's not assigning female responsibility. Why did you have children with a guy you couldn't keep or who didn't want to stay? What is the matter with you? Listen, ladies, let me tell you something. For approximately four billion years... Nature has been developing instincts to ensure that your offspring flourish. Women have as great a capacity to find a reliable man as a man does to find a sexy woman. Right? You ever looked at a woman who's really hot and say, I don't really know? Of course not. If she's hot, you know it. In fact, you know it even before you look sometimes. It's why you look. Out of the corner of my eye, I see a fertile shape. Boing, boing, off go the, you know, off go the eyes to see. Yeah. So men are incredibly good, and men are constantly scanning the environment for fertile eggs. Can't stop it. You know, it's basically your eyeballs are the periscopes of your balls. A periscope scan for eggs. Okay, we can relax. Can't fight it. It's just what happens. Because nature has, for approximately 4 billion years, tweaked us to find fertile eggs. And in the same way that we can determine young fertile women in the, in the vicinity, women know exactly what a stable and reliable man looks like because nature has tuned their instincts for approximately 4 billion years of evolution to find out the stable from the unstable, the reliable from the unreliable. Because our offspring require such an insane amount of resources, or insane number of resources, women who couldn't figure out who was stable and who wasn't, didn't survive. Women are incredibly, preternaturally, a woman's instincts, the only goddamn instinct a woman has is stable or not stable provider. Guy who will stay or guy who won't. Just like a man's basic instinct is fertile or not. And absent the state, the likelihood of a woman saying to a guy who's obviously unstable, let's have children, is about the same likelihood as of a man proposing to an 80-year-old woman saying, I really want to have kids. Nope. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Now, a woman will gravitate towards an unstable and violent man if she's in an unstable and violent situation, a social environment. Yeah. But it's highly adaptive to the. So, for women to say, well, I just didn't know. Bullshit. I mean, like the guy, you know, said Harold and Ward was an old movie. I saw when a kid, a young guy getting involved with a really old woman. If the, if the guy, uh, you know, brings home the great-grandmother and says, all right, time for me to start a family, what would you say? Crazy. Are you kidding? This isn't even bad comedy. 
And so for a woman to say, well, I, I, I fucked him, I got pregnant, I had no idea he wasn't going to stick around, is laughable. It's an embarrassment to anybody with any knowledge of sexual biology, evolution, and sex, sexual economics. It's ridiculous. And so <clears throat> you ask a woman, what do you think of single moms? Now, she doesn't have to say, oh, they're all horrible people. Of course, they're not, right? What you want to hear from a woman about single moms is, uh, it's tough on the kids, particularly the sons. That's what you want to hear. Oh, my God, does she actually have compassion for men? Does she actually have compassion for boys? Well, you can keep a ring on you and you slap it on her toe the moment you find a woman like that. She doesn't have to condemn the single moms, although I'm never particularly averse to that. But she can she at least have some empathy for the children, particularly the boys? Well, if she says, well, single moms are heroes, then she's just bought Marxist feminist propaganda hook, line, and sinker. She's part of the decay and collapse of Western civilization. And she'll use serrated lawyers to saw your balls off without any anesthetic, should you displease her in any way. Because you want, if you want to have kids, you want a woman who is empathetic towards children. If you're going to have kids, odds are, you know, mostly 50-50, you're going to have a boy. Have a couple of kids, most likely you're going to have a boy. And if the woman can't think of anything positive that men bring to the world, how the fuck is she going to raise a son? Yeah. How the fuck is she going to raise a son if she can't think of, off the top of her tongue, any of the six trillion things that men bring to the world that are positive? No, no, no. You don't want her favoring the daughters over the sons because she's bought all the propaganda about bad males. Anyway, I could go on with this all day, but I think that's probably going to be enough to weed out most of the non-starters. Yeah, I really Oh, you can ask, you can ask, sorry, one last one. Ask a woman who's a man that you really admire and respect. I can't think of any. Well, let me introduce you to my silhouette. And you're off like Wiley Coyote, right? Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, if she can't think of a single man she admires and respects, then she has no capacity to love the masculine. None. Holy shit. Do you think she's going to learn that after getting married to you? <laughs> Your dick ain't that magic, my brother. <laughs> dick don't do neuroplasticity, <laughs> right? No, unfortunately not. No. We'd like to. We'd like it if they could. But I believe that's ear sex, and I believe that's illegal, at least in most of the southern U.S. states. No, you can't fuck with the minds, and you can't unfuck prejudice, right? Yeah, what's a man? Who is a man that you love? Listen, from when I was a kid, I could tell you women that I respected and admired. Yeah. Unfortunately, they weren't in my immediate family, but I could certainly tell you them, and... I retain and maintain my respect and admiration for most of those women from when I was a kid. 
Yeah, what do men bring? What do men bring to marriage? What do men bring to the world? What are the benefits of men? Who are men that you respect and admire? What's your relationship like with your father? And um, you will be shocked at how savagely broken gender relations are in the West. Yeah. But that doesn't mean hopeless. No, I actually never thought uh, of approaching a woman from that angle in questions. So it's uh, it's a good thinker. Look, you know she wants dick because you want pussy. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. That's why we're all here. I try not to rail against the things which have made me exist. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, of course you bring penis and you bring resources and you bring status. But you need to explore because masculinity and femininity are not the same thing. And if she has no respect and admiration for the masculine, for men's fundamental desire to protect and nurture and provide for women and children, if she has no respect for that, you are doomed. Yeah. I mean, it's not just a matter of if, but when. And I think if you, you don't have to tell me now, but if you uh, sort of think about what your girlfriend slash fiance slash wife slash whore slash ex-wife, if you think about what she would have said to those questions, you could have saved yourself a lot of time and heartache, right? And money. Yeah. I I actually made money on her. I'm sorry? She's the one who lost money. Uh, How? How? Because I don't have any, and she has plenty. What, she lost money? What do you mean? Oh, so you are you getting support from her? No, no, no one is supporting either, but she was the one who paid paid for for most of the more expensive stuff. Oh. And then you wonder why she wanted to trade up, right? Yeah, yeah, that that's the thing also. it's. Uh, I, I know that the, the resources are very attractive to, to women, but I, I, I don't feel that for working for more than I want to. And uh, I think that will be a challenge for me for, for me to, to meet someone. Oh, because you don't want to make much money? Yeah, yeah I, I can. Who doesn't want to make much, lot, much money? But uh, I, I find the passions in life for me uh, uh, is, is, uh, is other stuff that uh, then generates uh, directly money. Did you uh, want to um, have kids with this yeah. woman? Yes, yes. yes but I you, wanted, you wanted her to pay for the kids? No, no, of course not. Uh, uh, it would probably be a little bit uh, more from her side but no no i would have to take my responsibility to it but uh, that would be a, a sacrifice on my on my half it would be a sacrifice to pay for your kids no 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 but that would be so 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 wrong put uh, I, I want kids and i would go the entire line to uh, to support my family, that wouldn't be a sacrifice. But it would be a sacrifice for me if I just uh, started to get try to get a more high-paid job just to support a woman. Oh, just to support a woman? I mean, yeah, yeah. But do, do, you're supposed to support you kids, right? The difference. 
right, right. Yeah. Got it. <clears throat> All right, my friend. Well, um, I hope this has been helpful. And uh, if not for you, certainly for other people, I'm sure it has been. And um, just remember, listeners, if this saves you money on dates, if this saves you money on marriage and divorce and child support and alimony, kick a little our way. It's how we survive and thrive. So if you can go to freedomainradio.com slash donate, help us out. Given how close we are to the Christmas season, we would really appreciate that. Good to end the year on an up note. And um, we will talk to you on, well, this Saturday we're doing, right, Mike? Nope, this Friday. This Friday. Friday. No Saturday oh, that's show right. this week. No Saturday show, that's right. Friday show. That's right. No Saturday, yeah, no Saturday show, so we'll be doing one in two days. Mm-hmm. And then, what do we do? Oh, yeah, we're doing Christmas Eve, right? Yep, then we got Christmas Eve, December 24th. Then we're doing Saturday, December 27th, back on the usual schedule. And we're not going to be doing a show on New Year's Eve. We're going to do a show on Thursday, January 1st instead. A New Year's Day call-in show to ring in the new year. So It will be an especially loud show <laughs> for all of those of you who've been drinking too much. Don't drink too much on the 31st. Stay safe, everybody. Yeah, stay safe. And, and don't drink too much. I mean, none of us have so many brain cells that we can afford to lose them in such silliness. So, yeah, don't drink up and, uh, you know, see, see what it's like in your social circles when you don't drink. <laughs> There's a, a very quick way to find out what your social life is really like. So have yourself a wonderful week, everyone, and we will talk to you soon.